Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast with a twist. This is episode four. We are back on the comic book side of things as we will be taking on the more than meets the eye annual 2012 and issues nine to 16 of more than meets the eye. That is volumes three and four. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined as always by Benjamin Phillips. Ben, how's it going other than boiling alive for the endeavor of podcasting? It's going well. It's not as hot as it was in America, which is a benefit. (laughs) I have been across the Atlantic uh, in between episode records. You've been in Atlanta and Austin? Yes. Which was better? Austin, obviously. Atlanta was nice for family, Okay, but Austin is is in my heart. The first, like, adult solo holiday I took after university was to Austin, so, like, a special place in my heart. That is fair. What was the best thing you ate? in the land of the free there's a great burger at casino camino which is like this kind of dingy Mm. dive bar on like dirty sixth in austin which is like run by like former bikers who are like all heavily tatted and (laughs) a little bit rude but the food is like genuinely incredible Um, (laughs) other than that like some great barbecue obviously but yeah that that, the uh, casino camino is like the only meal i've had every time i've been out in austin yeah everything i got in new york was like very okay like nothing nothing incredible nothing terrible You you know what was really annoying Mm. it's like you're in austin austin's not that far from mexico none of the tacos we had were like a patch on some of the ones i've had in london like literally the weekend before we left we went to a a taco festival in london where like some of the country's best tacos were like around and i was purposely visiting like good taco places in austin and i was like apart from the breakfast taco which isn't really a thing in the uk none of these are as good as some of our like local haunts yeah like like blasphemous yeah and like i know like if if I tried to make this argument, like everybody told me, like, oh, New York, best food in the fucking world. Like, oh, everything's incredible. Everything's better than anything you've had in the UK. Went for tacos in two different places. And I know other Americans are like, well, you can't go to New York for tacos. It's like, okay, but you told me that, like, tacos in New York are going to be better than what I've had here. The tacos you and I got in London before we recorded that, those two podcasts in December, fucking incredible. I, they haunt me. I need more. Anyway, we're not here to talk about taquerias. We're here to talk talk about Transformers and where we left things off last time you know it was a bit of a bumpy launch for this incredible book like you know they they got off the planet they picked up a couple of extra people that was all okay and then boom we're going on an away mission with a bunch of new characters and then boom we're introducing the scary Decepticon Justice Division who are out hunting renegade Decepticons and a bumbling comedy group of Decepticons called the Scavengers it was just a bit much now what we have here I think this is the best sustained run of the book. Volumes 3 through 6, I would say. 7 is also good, but I, for me, 3, 4, 5, and 6 are like the ones. Dark Cybertron, the giant event, which we will get to, does fall between 5 and 6, so I can understand if that like breaks the flow for some people. But this this little run here, I think for most people, when they are talked into reading this book, <laughs> this book by people who are like, no, trust me, Transformers has this really good book, and you're incredulous, and you're like, no, no way. This is where it starts clicking for you, particularly, I would say, this volume three. But there's some really fucking good issues in volume four as well, and we're going to get to all of it. I do think, obviously, Shadow Play is an incredible three-issue arc of this series. It is utterly bizarre where, like, this should be the first time we're kind of, like, going off ship or doing a flashback or anything like that, and it's not. And so it 
is the high point of the book so far, I think kind of like indisputably, but it is still part of that like you're just not quite able to get your feet on the floor because mm-hmm. this big centerpiece arc is fundamentally a flashback arc to characters who are not on the ship for the most yep. part, apart from Chrome Dome. Yeah, it, it, we'll get into it because we first must deal with the annual, the 2012 annual. So they did annuals in both this book and Robots in Disguise, They're both called Primus, which is Transformers God. <laughs> and our one here is called You, Me, and Other Revelations. We have guest artists drawing it. We have Jimbo Salgado and Emil Caballatiera. And we have Guido Guidi, who is doing... There's a section... In both books, and he did it for both of them, where characters are telling like mythological stories, religious stories, creation stories, whatever you want to call it, and they are drawn in a way that evokes like 60s, 70s, 80s comics. You would yeah, know like, it if you saw them. They're going to be in the episode artwork for, for this episode. Yeah, like they explicitly are riffing on the the G1 comics from the Marvel run in yeah. a lot of ways. The ones in, in More Than Meets the Eye are like a lot more mythological in tone, whereas the yeah. ones in Robots in Disguise That's are like... Historical historical and accurate almost yeah yeah another thing to say this annual is long as shit it is basically two issues worth of content it's very dense it's very important like a lot of mythologizing and building out the world a lot of character moments surprisingly yeah so it's split into three bits which each carry a fictional religious quote they're not very important but they're just they're nice little like uh set dressing i think my favorite is megatron being attributed as saying religion is the injects of the people which <laughs> yeah we know so we start with a silly little thing with rodimus and a small team of people they're on a little mission i keep using these words ironically by accident inside of ultra magnus's mouth he has been infected by, uh, I think they're called scraplets. They're, nanocons. They're all, nanocons, I'm so sorry. Scraplets are a different thing. Yes, they've all been shrunk down into his mouth. It's very reminiscent of everyone's favourite episodes of Futurama and, and various shrinking-based things. Yeah, but yeah. Like this is this is a famous sci-fi trope. Of yeah. like, like, you go inside someone's body to get rid of some disease. Ultra Magnus mm-hmm. has got nanocons. They've managed to, like, chase them up to their mouth. They're not allowed to take guns inside to, like, yeah. Make sure that they don't hurt Ultra Magnus. Well, then... is the only one using a gun. And it comes down to basically uh, the, the pistons that operate Magnus's mouth have like rusted over because he, specifically where it relates to smiling. He's a grumpy man. He loves his statistics and he has not smiled in a long time. He is forced to smile to prevent these things from escaping and infecting the crew. This humiliates him in the eyes of everybody. And everybody walks past, makes a little joke, has a little pop at him. Something we didn't really really discussed last time is every time Ultra Magnus looks at anyone (laughs) think of Terminator the original where there's text on screen and he's like assessing everybody he looks at and in the first issue you know it's like resist the urge to arrest Drift on sight that kind of thing and he's got like Rodimus and Drift side by side and like he's assessing how much of a troublemaker they are and yeah so like everybody who walks past is is labeled as a potential troublemaker including people he labels brave cheerful morale boosting but there still... is one where like they've done two where they're like here are their crimes and why they're potential troublemakers and then there's one who's like the most upstanding person i've ever met like the bravest <laughs> like smartest autobot in the world potential troublemaker immediately afterwards and it's just good <laughs> comedy writing yeah, like yeah i think sure. that's one of the things that like really sets this book apart is it is genuinely funny but it's mm-hmm. also playing with the artifice of comic 
writing in a lot of ways where a lot of the jokes are also verbal jokes oh there's a lot of stuff like chrome dome can't make a noise because he doesn't have lips and And he's confused when other autobots are able to make that sound and like he will go like how are you making that sound (laughs) yes a joke he's been doing for like four million years and we have like a character who sounds exactly like megatron and and just little funny things like that and there's also one character who like i can't remember which character they're referring to but they say a name and then they say the name with a different spelling Mm -hmm. and they're like no wait that doesn't work because it's just (laughs) it's the same pronunciation (laughs) yeah magnus looks at himself in the mirror and he basically brands himself like a laughing stock. He demands Rodimus replace the whole crew or he walks. <laughs> Rodimus argues it's good for you to grow and change and, for lack of a word, better word, be humanised in the eyes of the crew, as we will learn. I do have a question, and yeah. this is very much a pin in it conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does this not fly in the face of revelations that are going to come very, very soon <laughs> in the run of this character? Mm, potentially. <laughs> but never mind. Is it in the notebooks that that no. Roberts has written? No, it's not. Okay, no. so we don't know whether or not that is a revelation that he would he knew he was going to do at this point, or whether or not it's something that. No, there's. I can't talk about it until we talk about it. There's there's <laughs> something which I think then evolved into what you're talking about, but okay, no. So Tailgate has passed his entry exam to become an Autobot. You will remember from the last episode, he was studying the Autobot code with Ultra Magnus. Yeah, he has passed his entry exam. So he gets a little ceremony led by Rodimus in a weird cape. And in the middle of this ceremony, Rodimus subconsciously carves old Cybertronian into his chest instead of the Autobot brand. Again, I think it it world builds, it fleshes them out that this is a thing that people come to. It is akin to like a christening or a graduation or whatever. And Tailgate invites Cyclonus, who doesn't say a word, but does stand at the back of the room, which is very cute. We have people sitting there, like, like, they know it's important, so they're there, but they're like gossiping amongst themselves. There is like a a little joke about how long it will take Rodimus to say, till all are one, (laughs) which is one of the big catchphrases of Transformers. He is quietly told he says it too much and they take bets on how long it will take and Brainstorm wins with, I think he's closest with eight seconds. And he says it in five. Yes, he does. Swerve doesn't make it to the ceremony because he, while looking for Red Alert, discovers the so in the beginning the when the engines fired it like absorbed a robot who was like stuck in it he is alive strangely so swerve spends the whole issue sitting on the floor philosophizing with him and trying to keep him calm but... that is kind of the most like explicit tie to like the previous issues where yeah. like obviously the rung story continues in the shadow play arc and is kind of mm-hmm. the the backbone of that arc but this is where swerve is kind of coming to terms with his actions in that issue where he yeah. he shot rung in the head accidentally mm-hmm. he confesses he only did it because he felt pressured to obtain a license for his bar that is like frowned upon so he did what Rodimus said and he wasn't comfortable with it this little conversation it plays out throughout the book and it ends up not actually being hugely important but like so much interesting chat about like faith the afterlife guilt morality confusing peace with happiness after the war this bot who should say throughout this he's blind so he doesn't know he's talking to swerve and like so swerve is like shit talking himself because he's depressed this bot is like i've always wanted to befriend a decepticon and he says that like nobody's ever going to be happy or find inner peace after the war because of everything they had to go through for this war and it's just yeah it's really intense stuff for a little comedy conversation that's playing out in the background. (laughs) 
So Rodimus has carved this uh, this ancient Cybertronian and doesn't know why he did it. They're like, oh, is he being controlled? Whatever. But they, they reach Crystal City, which is where they're trying to get to, where a group called the Circle of Light, who they helped Drift find God, I believe, <laughs> once upon a time. They're like a religious sect. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I've read a lot at the moment, which kind of has the startings of Diatlas, who is the, yes. the leader of the Circle of Light, and yes. his leaving of Cybertron, and obviously he he's the person kind of responsible for, or one of the people responsible for Drift being brought over to the side of good, yeah. not the Autobots, which is the kind of the annoying thing with Drift's backstory, where like the Circle of Light are actually like pacifist. a neutral party. Yeah, yeah, the pacifist neutral party in the war. They are neither Autobot or Decepticon. They basically coax Drift into being more spiritual and kind of like move away from the war. And Drift is like, I have no place in this conflict. And then like literally the next issue that he appears in, he's like, I've met one nice Autobot. I'm an Autobot now. And you're like, cool. This <laughs> is start murdering for the other side instead. <laughs> yeah, like it's um... it's the most baffling shift for him. And he's still like campaigning to go see like he's the person pushing for them to go see the circle of light yes they they want to recruit them to the quest to find let's and let's remember they are they are seeking the knights of cybertron which you know it's a lot of terminology that sounds vaguely similar but yeah the knights of cybertron potentially don't even exist a lot of people don't believe in them they allegedly left the planet way 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 back and they're gonna go and try and find them. The Circle of Light are definitely real. They are some monks who live at Crystal City, and they tried to visit. However, they're initially not really allowed to go there because it is in Galactic Council space, and Cybertronians are the only race blackballed by the Galactic Council. They do not care for Cybertronians at all. It, it's perfectly fair, because I think that's <laughs> the thing that kind of gets lost when you talk about Transformers, is that yeah. like the war they are having has been going on for four million years. Mm-hmm. Longer than human life has ever existed for. This war has gone on for longer than this, and yeah. almost every Autobot and Decepticon that we know is older than four million years, really. Like, very yeah. few of them are, like, born in the middle of this conflict. It's just hard to keep in your head when they're yeah. talking about, like, millions of years. It's like, no, no, this is genuinely millions of years, and they're all this old, and... There are books that will get into like the population crisis yes. <laughs> going on with the Cybertronians, where like well, there haven't actually been new Cybertronians born or quote unquote born for for a long time. Yeah, um, I do really like the trope that everyone that meets them fucking hates them, but they're the heroes <laughs> of the of you know this giant mega franchise that spans movies and comics and games and everything. They're the, under, the irrefutable heroes, and Robert's like, I feel other people would fucking hate them though. They kill everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I. I do kind of like, like that take that like your fucking squabble where most of you don't even really know what you're fighting about anymore has killed billions of sentient people across the galaxy and ravaged worlds and yeah of course you're not allowed in the galactic council i do really like that so we meet a member of the council and they are these like four-armed alien looking motherfuckers and i love that they're fucking enormous like even compared to the transformers yeah but then he wears like a little hat and uniform like i just think it's a good little bit they respect Magnus because he is an enforcer of, of the law. You know, he he's a bureaucrat and they're bureaucrats ultimately. I do think that my issue with this, so like when I read this, this was like the first issue in a while where it felt stable because this was paying off things that had been discussed in previous issues but kind of coming off like three to four issues of like, like where things are happening in the books. And this yeah. is a longer issue set on board the ship dealing with conflict between most of the main cast and kind of like building off of things that have happened in recent issues. I did think that Tyrest was like the actual Galactic Council 
lawgiver. It I does like give Magnus the impression Vistus. that Tyrest is like a neutral, is a non-Cybertronian, is a like more prominent galactic figure. And, and Magnus mm. just happens to be a Cybertronian who works for him, and then we will meet Tyrest, and Tyrest is very much just a fucking transforming-ass robot, so... Yeah, it is it is just like one of those things where it's like, it feels like they're building Ultra Magnus to be... Like, mm. he's an Autobot, but he's a neutral Autobot, like, he's the one willing to kind of, like, administer justice to, like, this Autobot fucks up kind of thing. Almost like a the UN, or, or not even that, but, like, international police kind of, like, yeah. yes, and, we are on the side of the government, but we're also, like, making sure that you guys don't go yeah. against And we saw NATO. some of that in the, in, the, in the comics that precede this run, where they are all on Earth, and he does arrive, and he's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm neutral here. I, I, I work for the law. And it just so happens the good guys have broken it, so I will arrest them too. But yeah, like they they have respect for him. They want him to join the council and forsake Cybertronians. He he negotiates for them to be allowed to visit Crystal City on the grounds of it being a site of religious importance. I really like the quote. He's sceptical. As a race, we're not known for our religiosity. Our defining characteristic tends to be our four million year war. To which <laughs> Rodimus replies, yeah, because war and religion never go together. They get to visit Crystal City and it is deserted and it is in ruins. So we have a mystery. After some exploring, they find underneath it is a titan, specifically the Metro Titan. If, you know, you can guess what a titan is, it's just a fucking giant-ass Transformer. Rewind convinces Cyclonus to tell a story of the times of old, because in Cyclonus's own words, he used to prey in the shadows of titans on old Cybertron. Because as we remember, Cyclonus is older than all of them, by a long way. So he tells this story, and this is kind of the meat of, of the annual, the bit that is very dense but very important as we get this, this guest artist drawn section and essentially in the beginning primus was created in contrast to his opposite because idw were being very careful about not saying the word unicron for a really long time i think they always planned for unicron to be the ultimate end game of their entire continuity and he was but yeah they will always say things like his opposite and like the dark one and, and just shit like that but uh so primus god was created in opposition to his opposite he then split himself into five who are called the guiding hand i understand we have now the guiding hand the circle of light and the knights of cybertron and it's all like what this book throws a lot of terminology at you and kind of expects you to onboard it which that's that's why i said it's it's very dense i think what helps is you do get illustrations of the guiding hand whereas the others are all just talked about and not shown like the circle of light have appeared but not in this book stuff like that and I think we will at times get illustrations of what they think the Knights of Cybertron look like, but again, I don't think that has happened yet. But we do get illustrations here of the Guiding Hand, who are their gods. We have Mortalus, the Deathbringer, Solomus, who is Wisdom Incarnate, Epistemus, who is Knowledge Personified. That may sound exactly the same, but they are very subtly different, Knowledge versus Wisdom. Adaptus, who was blessed with the Infinity of Shapes, and Primus who is still Primus, he is the light giver, so God turned himself into five bits and one of them was himself, which is a bit whatever. Golden Age, everything's great, but then inevitably 
They wage war on each other, and in the process, so go the legends. Solomus, who is wisdom, becomes the matrix of leadership. Epistemus, who is knowledge, becomes the first brain module. <laughs> Adaptus becomes the first transformation cog. And Primus becomes Vector Sigma, which is a giant supercomputer in the middle of Cybertron that like gives life to what like there are pulses from Vector Sigma and people come alive and yeah, it's a whole ass thing. So their gods turned into these things that then are a basic part of Transformer Anatomy. Uh, and yeah. I think the and, idea and is more... that, like, they killed death. So, like, yes. that means they all live forever, so they must endure these four million year wars and stuff. <laughs> it's cute to read. Like, they have these really cool 70s, 80s metal-ass comic designs. They're all very, like, in armour and <laughs> harsh colours, and it, it's kind of cool. It doesn't actually really impact the plot of this. It is more just, like, again, it's just... It's just nice is... to... to give them history and give them myth and make them more than just giant killing machines. <laughs> well, the thing is, it definitely helps add depth to all of this. And it's just funny that you have this book which is so interested in giving depth to this. And the annual in Robots in Disguise kind of ignores a lot of the stuff going on here in order to tell its own story of the titans that furthers its plot with nothing really going on beneath the surface no there are fun things here like the idea that like wait so they're saying that their brains all stem from their god of knowledge and their ability to transform stems from their god of shapes <laughs> and stuff like that and it's like okay i mean i doubt that's true but if they believe it and i think there's also something very like jarring about these mechanical beings being spiritual because you know, we we label them machines, robots, etc. I, I don't think they are that. That terminology is used, it isn't accurate to say. They never call themselves robots, they do. But like, what we think of as a robot is like a cold, programmed machine. And these people, for lack of a better word, are warm and have foibles and they have a religious bent. And I think that's actually quite interesting. Like, it, it feels like a juxtaposition to what you would expect. Ratchet obviously calls bullshit on all of it because he is a man of science. He is a medic. Drift, and he argue to the point that Drift pulls a sword because he's gone a bit too far because Drift is hyper-religious. That's kind of the meat of the annual because from there it just gets into insanity because Rodimus has Chrome Dome inject the Titan to see if they can find out what happened to the knights. And that doesn't go too well, <laughs> because a titan is just a thing of infinite mass and complexity, and it just freaks out, and it turns out it's been trying to return to Cybertron since the bullshit that happened before this book, where all of Cybertron got reset, but it's not able to get there. And that made it start giving off these weird signals that, like, caused a dead robot to come back to life and made Rodimus subconsciously write an old Cybertronian and just, yeah, all the weird stuff that's been going on in the book is because this Titan has been giving off weird brainwaves and it, in a panic, it fires a laser, which the Galactic Council think was an attack by the Cybertronians and they're planning to kill them all, but then... Brainstorm uses the shrinking tech from the beginning where they all went into Magnus to get it small enough that it can teleport away and yada yada yada. It, it's kind of anticlimactic, but I yeah, I think the, the creation story is fun. Magnus, like, choosing to shun the Galactic Council because he's, like, become... Like, he, he kind of, like, quotes Rodimus back again. Like, he's like, 
they're like, what happened to you or whatever? And he's like, ah, you know, I've grown and changed, essentially. I'm, I'm massively paraphrasing that. But. Yeah, I think the weakness of this one is that it is technically a two-part annual. I yeah. think it's just, it's impressive that Roberts is able to inject as much of his world into this as he is, mm-hmm. because it is fundamentally being used for a payoff in another book. Like, mm-hmm. this feels like a complete story. Like, you don't need to give a shit whether Metro Titan goes after it disappears <laughs> in this book. It leaves it as, like, a cliffhanger, and no part of me was ever, like... I need to get resolution to this, which you need I think to find just... out that it goes and brands Starscream as Jesus. Back yeah, outside. I mean, that's, that's the thing is like you, you you say the plot of the other book and it yeah. sounds like there's insane, awesome things going on over there, and then you read it and it's like, oh, okay, this is like yeah, I a, said a I, semi-obvious version of what this story is going to yeah, be. I said it to you. What you see is what you get on that book, where I can say it out loud some of the plot beats now, and you might think, oh, that sounds awesome. Me telling you is no different than you actually really reading it, other than there's cool art happening. There's just no real, like, interiority. Yeah. And like the, this next arc after yes. this annual, because I think the annual was where, where I finally was able to settle into like, a, okay, I get the rhythms of this now. And mm-hmm. whilst Shadow Play does jolt you out of that, there is so much under the hood of this yeah. entire thing. Yeah, so issues 9, 10, and 11 are called Shadow Play. This is an arc that got an article written about it a few weeks ago comparing it to True Detective. It came out before True Detective, I believe. And each issue is kind of, you know, we've got police action, we've got politics, we've got a heist like it's a fun little thing and the big picture will sound like isn't this just exactly what you guys were complaining about last issue where like it's a lot of time with characters we don't know or haven't met yet and stuff like that because it is a huge flashback and it involves like optimus prime and prowl who are not in this book the thing that i think really helps it is it is completely grounded in the people we do know because they are all gathering around in Swerve's bar after hours. It is Swerve, Chrome Dome, Rewind, Skids, Drift, Whirl, Tailgate, and Ratchet. And they are gathering around to tell stories to try and fix Rung's brain. Because Rung got his head blown off a few issues ago. He miraculously, and they use the word miracle, survived. But he is kind of in a catatonic state. There's very little brain activity But Rewind and Chrome Dome have a theory that if we tell him stories, it will spark bits in his brain and make him fill in gaps and bring him back. Rewind is like, you know what's weird? Rung is like in everyone's backstory. Rung has met every single Cybertronian, like in history. Like it's so weird. He's connected in every single thing. Mm -hmm. And yet no one can remember his name. But like, (laughs) like they even have him showing up in like the other book in flashback issues and stuff like that. Rewind calls him like a historical constant, like an observer. He's never directly involved, but he's always there. And so they all have these stories that they share. It feels very like that episode of Community where Arbed realizes they're all connected, which maybe breaks some of the magic of Community, but also is kind of cutely written. Yeah, whereas this is like, you guys were all in the same orbit of each other, which was also in the same orbit of Rung, although Rung, it's not like this This miniseries is telling the story of like how they all met Rung, or like no. what their one encounter with Rung is, which I think is kind of what makes it so interesting, is fundamentally this is a Chrome Dome and Prowl two-hander, with like Optimus as like a significant supporting player and then like guest appearances from Ratchet, Drift, Whirl, stuff like that. Like like fundamentally, I think even the characters at the bar are kind of referred to them as cameo appearances. Yeah. Fundamentally. Yeah. Chrome Dome and Prowl used to be partners in what they call mecha forensics. Like they're they're CSI, basically. <laughs> and 
they worked a case together that like these other characters we've mentioned they dip in and out of and uh yeah so it is shortly before the war breaks out for example i've read a lot of books in this time period like and the thing is (laughs) they're all kind of different they're all kind of different and they're all but they're all taking place over kind of the space of a few years it feels like yeah but they all come at wildly different points and i just cannot in my head (laughs) pin down the actual timeline because you've got like megatron origins you've got the primacy autocracy trilogy you've got Uh this you've got chaos theory and i know i'm like just listing names of different things but like all of these things are taking place before the war and all of them are interesting in different ways they almost threaten to break each other as well i feel because they come out so far apart and aren't all by the same writer but there's a lot of terminology that comes at you it is brand new terminology it isn't just sort of like quoting stuff there is talk of the clamp down which you can guess what that is. Like, there's, there's curfews, there's heavy surveillance, there is what amounts to stop and search, there's profiling, this kind of thing. Yeah, the backstory of this is, like, Megatron has... Megatron exists and has started political kind of, like, movements and he's writing papers, but he isn't the head of the Decepticon movement, but the no. Decepticon movement does exist and yep. is trying to get authenticated as a political movement within Cybertron, which is, like, a heavily corrupt basically autocracy being led by a succession of primes that we know will eventually end up in optimus prime kind of taking the mantle but you've got three or four successive primes who are like all fascists in different ways (laughs) kind of like taking control of each other no big time and there's a lot of unrest in this which leads into like the opening conversation of this issue between in the flashback it's oh god who is and yes nightbeat Nightbeat, yeah, who will come back. And just to like really just immediately sell you on what a different time this is, one of them thinks they're called the Receptacons. Like, it it is very like everything you know has not yet come to be, and we will get it doubled down. Roberts actually did it with both, actually. Like, he defined that Autobot was kind of a mocking moniker used by other races, like, to suggest that they're, like, mindless automatons. And then he was like, let's let's take it back. Let's reclaim it. And, like, actually, we're autonomous and we're free. And Decepticon comes from you are being deceived. There's a lot of, like, graffiti and, like underhanded political you know like it's fun but yeah so these two stumble out of a bar and like there is a grisly murder scene there is somebody hanging above them he's dripping blood into one of their drinks they're they're talking about like oh careful you you're gonna sound like a decepticon sympathizer there's talk about how like well i don't agree with functionalism and it's like oh don't you know don't say that too loud kind of thing they gently suggest that guy over there could be a spy, and it's Rung sitting on the floor happily making a model. <laughs> um, it's just a cute little thing, but you know they believe that the Decepticons will execute all non-manual labourers, which it, it it all feels so charged to today. It's very like if the working class take over, they'll kill anyone who isn't working class, kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so interesting, and also like where James Roberts being from the UK. Mm-hmm gives it that extra heft because obviously like there there is writing on this where like is it rodimus he bases on tony ben the politician or is it someone else i don't know if it's rodimus but definitely that is a name that he he brings up yeah yeah and it's but it's like obviously the uk is still to this day kind of like under the boot of kind of like class politics like Mm -hmm. there is very little movement within class structures in the uk very much all about like who you know very different to kind of like the american like the american dream anyone can become anyone it really is like (laughs) if you're smart 
part maybe you can go to one of the big universities and stuff like that but there was mm. a, a tweet the other day that was literally like the entire uk schooling system is designed to put rich people and smart people together shake them up and make you confused about which one's which uh-huh. incredible um <laughs> which which is kind of like what this is getting at where it's like yeah th- there are people who on the autobot side are like genuinely well-meaning and stuff like that and then there are others within the group who are very much like the status quo must be maintained yeah which is the interesting element that roberts is bringing to this yeah. where the Decept- like the decepticons fundamentally they are more sympathetic in terms of their goals because Absolutely. they actually want to break the system and take it down and stuff like that yeah. it's just that classic well we need to make the the radical political position be violent to make yeah. it sound bad megatron is literally just like i want everyone to be subservient to me until they learn how to like deal with this new political system but that is very much a thing that like he becomes extremely radicalized by what he goes through when he is far more like i don't want to fight but i will fight and i'm good at fighting and then he it becomes an insane attempt <laughs> to conquer the galaxy and shit but this is very much at a time where yeah the decepticons are the manual class the working class they are under the boot of a corrupt system yeah what you said with with autobots who like can't agree with each other i mean i think you and i would have a a side we would lean to in that debate about whether you have to maintain the peace but like it is very much presented as they're not evil for wanting this it's just that they are in conflict with each other on at what cost kind of thing like you you, yeah, you there, have there are other... libs who are like oh no but we can't resort to violence for good things yeah. it's like you, you fucking there, there can are fuck other you. Books. there are other books where like the the deceptical movement is poisoned by people who are just being opportunists and want to like cause violence and stuff like that like scorponok takes over for a while yeah. and it's kind of before megatron gets into like true mustache twirling <laughs> villainy and stuff like that as as he does in kind of later books and, so, and and obviously we will touch on the development of megatron into maybe being more of that like yeah. realizing what he needs to do as part of that political change yeah um, i mean the very 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 lazy comparison would be malcolm x yeah you know the very reductionist version of who malcolm was and then if it's okay to resort to violence and how like scared white people boil it down to well he was the nasty one and malcolm was the good uh martin was the good one you know yeah, like... there's there's probably a world in which people are writing megatron and optimus prime as professor yeah. x and magneto it's probably yeah, the, the yeah, better yeah better comparison politically nuanced in ways that are actually surprising and that is again like what makes this book so much more interesting than a lot of the other books mm-hmm. sat in this kind of past period is that yes it's coming from the point of view of law enforcement but mm-hmm. like it is all coming from the law enforcement who actually initially fermented the the pushback who just eventually land on the side of like we don't want to murder half the citizens and stuff like that <laughs> well, yeah and I, I think it's just so good because you don't have to give a shit about Transformers. There's something relatable and understandable and interpretable going on here about class struggle and, like, an over-oppressive ruling government and, and, and all of that. And I think that's what makes this such a, a book that becomes such a hit. Yeah, I, um, I, think, I just think it is complicated, though, because there's, there is so much terminology... There that is. is thrown around and that's the thing is like there is a kernel here that anyone could read and get into mm-hmm. but because it is also doing the world building for james roberts it's kind of got its hands tied where it's almost like boy if this was not a part of a franchise that is like yeah. 30 40 years old at this point if it came with a disclaimer that everything you're seeing here is brand new yeah 
and like this is just a work of his own mind because you're used to it you read sci-fi fiction and they throw terminology at you and you're like am i supposed to know and you know you're not supposed to know what that is and they'll explain it but when it comes in amidst a very continuity heavy mega franchise it's like is this a thing i just am supposed to know and i don't like what is proteus's promise who is proteus and you're not supposed to know who he is or what that is and they will later explain it's a thing where if enough Decepticons, if it's, if 10,000 Decepticons register, they can become a political party. And I think you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know something called Proteus's promise sounds inherently sinister. Yes. <laughs> will not be kept. But no, so we have Chrome Dome and Prowl investigating this murder from outside the bar. The victim is a senator. They believe the Decepticons are responsible because the body has their symbol on it. It does a lot very quickly to establish this is a younger, more naive Chrome Dome. He has an interest in nemosurgery, but he's not done it yet. This is a softer Prowl who... They will do a thing where, like, every now and then they'll flash back to the present. And one of them is like, who is this Prowl? Does he need fleshing out? <laughs> and it feels very meta because Prowl is not in this book. But Roberts clearly has a much, in my opinion, stronger handle on him than the yeah, book like, that like, is using him all the time. That's the thing. is like, Roberts and Nick Roche, who's, like, drawn issues of this book, but is probably best known for his, like, work on the Wrecker series. They were, like, masterminding Prowl's kind of, like like subtle backstory in the background of some of the stuff going on in the book before this yeah. and that was just the interpretation that everyone used and it probably is the biggest shame yeah. of Robert's entire time is that he did not get to do Prowl nah. as like a main character in one of his books and I'm sure he would come out and say like I didn't actually need Prowl the threat of Prowl in the background was enough to kind of like give me mm. enough juice and I got to use him sporadically when I needed to and but I, like I think my thing would be Prowl isn't a big enough name to casuals for that yeah. to work like i'm not saying the average person knows who like 10 different autobots are but they probably know who like four to five are and prowl is not one of them but he has See, but now after this like reading all of these comics prowl to me is like he feels he's huge, a top, right yeah he's yeah. a top five autobot like he is like it is optimus it is bumblebee and then it's probably prowl number three in terms of like yeah. my brain hierarchy of who the like autobots that like have meaning and heft behind them Mm. And it is all thanks to what Roberts is doing and what all these various runs have been doing because yeah. he is masterminding so much stuff in the background. He he yeah. is like G1 season one. He's Autobot, there. He just he? isn't like a big ass deal. And I think these comics, IDW comics specifically, are like really getting their teeth into Prowl. And like, Prowl should be a big deal. He turns into a police car and he's maybe a little bit morally grey and like we can do something with that. And boy, do they. When they're trying to describe who Prowl is, they're like, he's like Ultra Magnus without the warmth and the people skills. <laughs> Wine tries to do an impression of him by flipping a table, but he's not strong enough to do it. <laughs> Just good little things. So yeah, back in the past, Orion Pax, which is Optimus Prime, before he was called Optimus Prime, rescues a drug-addled Drift from a savage beating and takes him to see Ratchet. So Optimus Prime is here. And one of the key things of these two books was there would be no Optimus and no Megatron. And like, what does that look like? Hasbro... <laughs> We're not massively keen on this as an idea. And we're like, could you pepper them in here and there just so we can keep selling toys of them? So Optimus gets his own little, little weird plot line over in the other book. He appears every like six to seven issues. It's kind of the worst stuff in that book. And then James Roberts opted to use him here in flashback and it's just so much stronger. 
Optimus before he was Optimus as like a just an action hero who's yet to bear the responsibility of leadership. Yeah, he is he is a young hero cop who is like entirely uncomplicated and is just yeah. like everyone's good, right? Like <laughs> he's kind are... of what the Michael Bay movies interpret him as, but without like just he's all action all the time. And but like... the difference is, I think Roberts does him as a person who loves humanity and oh, loves yeah. people, whereas Michael Bay is just like I <laughs> murder. <think> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my, my, I think Optimus Prime would be so jaded he would basically be a war criminal. <laughs> yeah, Drift, these days, is a very noble samurai warrior. Pre-war, he was a drug addict, and Optimus takes him to see Rat. I'm just going to call him Optimus, it's just easier. Yeah, he takes him to see Ratchet, who fixes him up, tells and, Optimus to, like, go easy on him. <laughs> yeah, and this is probably, like, the nicest part of the issue, where, mm. like, I feel like because so much of this is around Prowl and around Optimus, you don't really get the heft of it in the modern day stuff apart from what it means for Chromedom's relationship with Rewind which obviously will come heavily into the next arc that we'll be discussing in this yeah. book. Ratchet like cleans him up and encourages him to get a job and like he apparently thinks about that advice but to the both like, of them do and yeah. like there's little bits of it like there are like panels of drift and ratchet together like in later issues that we're going to be discussing that's mm-hmm. like okay we've not had much time with these guys but like the book is actually being able to build the relationship between these two of they like, bicker because they love yes like, like they're, they're vaguely antagonistic towards each other one like the, literally the the lost man of science man of faith while he's treating him the news breaks that the current ruling prime Nominus is dead, and Ratchet knows firsthand because he worked on him that the cause of death they report is simply not true. He did not have the disease or wound or complication or whatever it is they say, and they speculate that the Senate murdered him to get access to the Matrix, which is what all the primes carry. It's why they are a prime. There is like a really convoluted, ongoing plot across many years of comics that like the Matrix is a fake. They play hot potato with a fake Matrix, and Optimus eventually ends up with the real one, and he's like the first true Prime in a really long time. And it's, I think it's something that bothers me about reading the line, because like, why does there need to be a fake Matrix involved in all of this? But yeah, there The is. fake Matrix is like, the whole point is that like there hasn't been a legit Prime. Yeah, I, I get it from that point of view, and like, Optimus like stumbles across it in the underground, and then, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing, but... It is quite funny where they're like, on the news story in these issues, they're like, and Nominus Prime is experience or like whatever his name, like his name sentinel is sentinel like, isn't it sent- yeah sentinel is like experiencing like signs of the matrix or with leadership and you're like okay mm-hmm. with this sort of conspiracy theory in mind pax introduces ratchet to his friend in the senate who is still unnamed unnamed senator friend who popped up in chaos theory which is the two-part book that roberts wrote before this book and is kind of the test run of of this whole book and lays a lot of groundwork he has a friend who's a senator he's like the only good senator he sort of sneaks optimus some some cheeky information and is trying to like help better the system from within and he is very 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 deliberately not named i do like that like as it goes on other people are like are you sure you want to work with this guy he's got some dodgy shit going on his voting record man it's weird and i think that's what's what's so interesting is obviously he isn't named he isn't named for a reason that we'll get into it kind of at the end but i remember reading this and i was like this is a big deal right yeah because i didn't know who this character was i now know who the character is that like they revealed the senator to be but like i had to check with you it doesn't help that he changes his paint scheme 
a yes. lot. So every time you see him, he, he's coloured differently. And in a franchise with so many differently coloured but identically designed bots, it's like, could do without that, thanks. But they're trying to get the point across. He's very flashy, he's very into his appearance, he's very jovial. So he confirms to them that the Matrix is fake. He confirms to them that the Senate did kill Nominus Prime. Confirms he wants the Senate dismantled. Confirms that Megatron has been shipped off-world for fear of being made a martyr. Like, it's all just sort of, like, really setting up how our two stories are going to collide. Because over with Prowl and Chrome Dome, they're doing an autopsy. It takes them to a sort of high-rise apartment block for, like, the rich district, basically. And another body is tossed out of a window right in front of them when they arrive. And that is kind of where the, the, the past stuff leaves us for that issue. In the present, Rodimus pulls Red Alert's body out of an oil reservoir and he suspects Cyclonus killed him. Red Alert has been paranoid, he's been seeing Rung, he's been hearing voices, and he suspects somebody is going to get him for what he knows, and then he turns up ostensibly dead, drowned, and Rodimus is quick to blame the nearest, not really a Decepticon, but a Decepticon. So, yeah. That actually resolves pretty quickly in the next issue, where Rodimus is determined to pin it on Cyclonus, and it's a really great, moment for Cyclonus that I think he really needed where he just looks like a supreme fucking badass because he's in an interrogation room with Drift who's he like gets a little bit too aggressive with Cyclonus for his liking so he just completely wipes the floor with him and he's like if I wanted Red Alert dead he'd be fucking dead Cyclonus has been very passive like he entered the book fighting World to a stalemate and World is kind of a he is a badass but he's also like a comedic character so I think establishing Cyclonus as somebody who can like throw down with any of them and probably win is, is quite needed but First Aid ends up confirming that it definitely wasn't Cyclonus. Do, do we want to just like deal with all this bit in yeah, one well, the go? Yeah the Red Alert stuff is kind of like obviously it's the stuff that's set up in earlier issues where basically he is being becoming increasingly paranoid and the reason that he kind of got driven over the edge was discovering that there is a giant Decepticon named Overlord in the basement of the Lost yes. Light and basically because of this he has killed himself yeah essentially. yeah like this is what we learn is he did it to himself he actually survives like they think he's dead but they do manage to save him and they have a bit of a debate and they end up putting him into cold storage we'll wake him up when things are a little bit more calm around here kind of thing rodimus takes it incredibly personally that someone under his duty of care would try to take their own life in the annual he kind of vowed to take things a little bit more seriously and i think the one-two punch of that and this put him into a more serious to a fault bounce back which will come but yeah it's it's a whole thing red alert is kind of quietly put out of the book but in a sort of clever thing he shows up in the flashbacks because he is they call him the warden of the building i guess he's like i guess it's like a really fancy like almost a gated community and he's like security for them all yeah but like he also obviously because they're investigating the room from the the senator who they found dead or they investigate yeah the the so where the body was thrown out of a window Yes. They go up to that window and then have a look around, and he tells them that this second person was a senator, he entertained a lot, and he reveals, they flip on a UV light, there's a Decepticon symbol on the wall. Which is so creepy from Red Alert's point of view, where it's just like, yeah, I know all the shit secret of all these people. <laughs> They're under my watch, but also I know all of their stuff, and yeah, like, they, yeah. they find out that he is a Decepticon and has been, like, fermenting Decepticons whilst being a senator and stuff yeah. like that, which... And- I is mean, confusing. It, it is a bit, but like 
Another thing to notice, when they flip on this UV light, Red Alert has injection marks on the back of his neck. And we know, because Chrome Dome told us in a previous issue, these marks where he injects people, and anyone who does Nemo surgery, it wasn't Chrome Dome, they only show up under UV light. And there is a strong implication that Red Alert was used as a pawn to push this entire investigation in the right direction. And it kind of retroactively justifies all of his paranoia about them and the Institute, which is a term he has used and nobody else has so far. And it's just it's just a nice, creepy little art detail that, like, it could go right by you, but, like, knowing it is like, oh, that's why Red Alert's paranoid, because somebody's fucked with his brain. <laughs> Do they get into who would have done it to him? The Senate. This, just the Senate. Like, yeah. cause obviously, like, we know who engages in Nemo surgery and, like, mm-hmm. Shadow Play and stuff like that, but, like, it's it's not like it's it's Trepan or anything like that. One of the named yeah. characters who we know is, like... I don't know I don't know if there's a single person who did it, but, yeah, like, a lot of people are, are fucked with on the orders of the Senate, and he's one of them. It's, it's just a fun little detail. And- Prowl uses his... There's this famous... <laughs> way back when these were just toys, Bob Budiansky famously wrote bios for all the toys like a little some flavor text on the back of the boxes just to give them characters so he basically invented all the characters you could argue there's a thing about how prowl can observe 800 objects and calculate their trajectory in 0.5 seconds and roberts seems really obsessed with this line because he brings it up all the time and he uses it here in reverse where Prowl can figure out how the person, how the scene went down by sort of looking at where all the shattered glass is and like what angle the body must have been thrown at, how hard. After he's done it, he says, there's a second person in here, basically. <laughs> um, and then they attack. That's when our friend Optimus jumps in and helps them out after, you know, a little bit of an action sequence. They all basically confirmed both victims were what they call closet cons, so secret Decepticons. It wasn't that the Decepticons killed the Senators and put their logo on them, it's that these people secretly were Decepticons and were murdered. The other thing that happens is that, like, obviously there's been a lot of talk around, like, in the background of the issue, around why not change your body? Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously, both of the the assassins that we've seen in this issue, there have been comments around them not being very effective at what they're doing. No, one of them is flying away from (laughs) Chrome Dome, and he just crashes. And he said, yeah, he was weirdly quite a bad flyer. Yeah. And, And Which is also interestingly juxtaposed with the other book at the same time, where, like, Mm. Megatron is jumping between kind of, like, three different bodies. Yeah. They flash back to, like, when Megatron was put inside the body of a a stealth fighter, essentially. And he is immediately as good of the flyer as Starscream is. Yeah. I think that is like artistic license that like like just some bullshit editorializing whereas Roberts is very fascinated by like he invented this concept of functionalism and like what you turn into dictates your entire personality and what you're good at and all this sort of stuff and yeah they bring up this concept of body swapping and body gloving where they will hastily give you a body transfer for like 48 hours or something. So the reason these flyers were bad is because they weren't fucking flyers and they were trying to fly, so they just crashed and died. There's some really fun character stuff here when they're all linking up with each other. Prowl has never been in a fight before, and it's like, he's a little bit scared to jump in, which is, it doesn't really mean anything if you're just listening to this, but like, 
Prowl's whole thing is he's like this legendary badass that could like fight ninety five percent of the characters. Yeah, like he basically goes from being like the equivalent of a of a desk cop to being like <laughs> the most badass person. Like in the other book, he is literally carrying out like covert assassinations. Yeah, like, and he's, solo and all the rest yeah, of it. And he's like dramatically showing up when they think he's dead, and he's like taking on the entire Decepticon army by himself. And yeah, it's a whole thing. Prime kind of drops in out of nowhere, and like they're all fangirling over his antics kind of they're asking like oh where did he come from he's like i assume he jumped off the roof he did that sort of thing a lot and it's just there's a very like casual nonchalant like yeah he was a badass man i don't know he did badass things a again lot. it's it's the thing that roberts is so good at is that he's drilled down into kind of like one or two character traits for like mm-hmm. a lot of these characters and is just able to distill them out into like a character beat and even if he isn't going to use optimus an awful yeah. lot or even if he isn't going to use prowl an awful lot he's doing enough in the characterization of them to make them feel fully fleshed out and like they're important and like they have lived lives outside of this there is something funny to be going like yeah optimus prime shows up at the last minute because he likes hanging out on top of buildings <laughs> yeah and there'll be a bit later when someone's like they're flying very slowly and it's like well you're welcome to jump and drive and he just does that <laughs> he's like jesus man i wasn't serious yeah, so this sort of brings the two groups together. Optimus is briefly called away to talk to Whirl in prison. You will recall he's in prison because he savagely beat the shit out of Megatron while he was a political prisoner. Basically, he knows that the Senate are going to kill his Senate friend, and he knows that they're going to make their move, and they're going to use a huge bomb, and they're going to blame it on the Decepticons. It feels a little bit like they're just yanking Optimus out of the action for a minute, but like it is some good stuff because we get Whirl like saying, I want my hands back. Whirl has like pincers instead of hands. He has like a single light bulb. Well, it's not really, but like a single light instead of a face. And what we will get to throughout this arc is is basically the Senate mutilate people, and it's called Emperorata. It's like a sign of social stigma. stigma. By taking away your ability to, to express yourself with your face, by giving you, like, claw hands, it makes you a monster in the eyes of the people, and you're shunned, and well as a victim of it, basically. As we learned with his stuff with Rung, like, he wanted to be a watchmaker. That goes against his turning into a, like, fighter helicopter, so... <laughs> <laughs> they mutilated him and then like coerced him into being their hired muscle and trying to kill Megatron and stuff like that and yeah it's kind of just like a delivery of information and some exposition so that Optimus can learn yeah the Senate are gonna set off a big bomb and they're gonna kill your friend which means they have to go to the Xavier School for the Gifted sorry the Academy of Advanced Technology where the friend senator runs it is basically a home for yeah like Cybertronian mutants it's people that can do things that like others can't there is mention of somebody who can levitate there is mention of somebody who can make force fields there is mention of somebody who can make non-sentient machinery malfunction and one of our good friends from the present day skids is one of them and it is his ability to basically just be good at anything he tries so they're like a fun little group and they fly in the face of functionalism because what they can do has nothing to do with what they turn into so it sort of disproves the idea that because you turn into a bulldozer you have to be a constructor worker kind of thing because yeah, like, and it, yeah. it's interesting that a lot of these characters who he names here have shown up in the books i assume yeah. that the one the force, force fields is, is trailbreaker trail. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah for sure and we got skids and and one they call glitch so yeah they're like 
hey, you guys, we should keep you safe and bring all the groups together kind of thing. While, and we get a heist. Yes, we we do. Like, I should just very quickly, I know this is going a long time, but Shadowplay is like the densest book in the no, whole I thing. No, I know, I know. But it's just, I just want to say we get a heist. We do get a heist. Like, they decide they have to steal the Matrix because they, they figure they're going to use the Matrix as like a bomb and like blow up visiting people. It, it's a little bit convoluted how they actually get to that premise. But it's like, yeah, we're going to break into the primal basilica and steal the Matrix so that it can't be used as a bomb to kill loads of people to blame on the Decepticons. But the thing I really want to quickly get to is Chrome Dome and Prowl, they visit the nearest body swapping clinic and they discover underneath it is the Institute, which is a thing that has been mentioned as a, you know, nobody believes it's real and it's a place where they do really shady shit and when they do body swapping above it, it's like, what's shadier than that? Um, and they mention that this is where they do shadow play, which... Is the, is the name of the arc. Yes. And it is the art of erasing emotions and memories, implanting new behaviours. It's like a much more extreme version of, of, of nemosurgery, where Chrome Dome can erase a memory, but Shadowplay can make you into a different person, basically. They walk past the Decepticon rally on the way, and they talk about it, and Prowl talks about how if war breaks out, I'd go neutral, and I assume you'd come with me. There is a reading that they were romantically interested in each other. Others read it as best friends. Rewind doesn't like it either way. <laughs> yeah, um, I 100% read this as like their ex, their exes. I think so. I read. Yeah. Like it is interesting though that so this is jumping ahead where obviously mm. we know that Chrome Dome and Rewind have a relationship. They're they're married. True. Yes, they are married. But obviously the book is playing coy with it at this point. It is. It will be yeah because even when they say they're married, they use bullshit terminology. <laughs> yeah. It will and be like, a while you... before they're like, no, they're boyfriends. Like, they kiss. They're, they're both boys and they're in love. Yes, and you, but you get the thing where, like, in, in the next arc where they talk about all of Chrome Dome's exes. Yes. And someone comes along and says, like, I know that you guys were friends. Well, friends doesn't really, like, summarize what you guys are. Again, the book is, like, mm -hmm. it's slowly introducing this. And this is kind of like mm -hmm. Chrome Dome and Rewind have spent time together in the book up to this point but i feel like this relationship with prowl is the first time that like there is actual like romantic jealousy yeah. Boy, boyfriend is jealous of your of your action-packed ex who is taller than him and everything yeah. and and it is interesting because obviously the next few issues go into like other exes that chrome dome has and prowl isn't mentioned there no, which, which i think is probably where the wiggle room is that they that, that maybe they weren't going out but like but saying if war breaks out i'm out of here and i want you to come with me that's... and even just the other stuff prowl does where he's yeah. like i want you to tell chrome dome to go become a memo surgeon because he's like do this and get away from the front lines i don't want you to die yeah and he's very nice to him in a way that is it feels jarring like he's like oh i'm, I'm i hope you're okay kind of thing like he's a bit of a dick at first but then he softens and he's never soft in the present so it's like yeah, yeah there's a little bit but yeah the institute is like a, a very super secret place where they silence their critics essentially like there is a there is a character here who was seen in a montage of people speaking out against the senate and they're just sort of quietly being operated on in the senate um, um in the institute this is a really dense art book it is in a, in a way that is kind of like really interesting because it's also a really hard book to kind of get a grapple on the characters because i i don't know if it is like a type of face blindness but like mm. there are some books you read where like no character faces like actually like are distinct from each other a lot of superhero I, costumes do yeah. the 
job for them, but a lot of these characters have very similar shapes. And yes, and to... I think that is a disservice. I think it it's is. why stuff like Chrome Dome is actually quite useful. And like, I, I do feel like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Roberts was like, yeah, I tried to use characters with like distinct Fucked faces. up shapes. <laughs> yeah, because like I think about like when you've got like Galvatron and Cyclonus next to each other, they're not actually that easy to tell apart. Both purple, both... both have horns, like both armoured, both old as shit. Like, yes. Yeah, it's... Like the, the biggest if issue that Roberts has is he picked a lot of kind of like red and white characters in the early going. <laughs> he did. But... And like Chrome Dome and Brainstorm have got similar faces, and mm. like, but like they are very different colours. But yeah, I do feel like... And there's also something I would call like Prime Face that Getaway yes. has, that like Getaway will come in a while, but like some of them have Optimus's head, but recolored basically. <laughs> yeah, but like I do, I do think he has chosen enough distinct characters, and it's yeah. what it gets weird where like there's a there's an issue again coming up where like Swerve and Tailgate are drawn with everyone else, but they're at the same height as everyone else. I'm like, no, 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 that yeah. is like the most distinct thing about those two characters is that they are like a lot shorter than yeah. basically everyone else. Yeah. So while they're here, they they grab a list of names and they get the fuck out of there. They meet back up with all the others, which is where they decide they're going to do a heist. Turns out this list of names is the people who have thus far signed up, have registered as Decepticons. The implication is they're going to kill them all. <laughs> they're going to round them up and they're going to do shadow play on them. Yeah, they're going to lobotomize all of them, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it will be legal because they've yeah. committed an act of terrorism. Yeah. And... Which is the most fucked up thing is they're like, we'll be able to do this to all of them because, oh yeah, all of them are guilty. It's like, no, presumably mm-hmm. this is like a couple of people. <laughs> like, it's very hard to have a political movement of presumably 10,000 people because they're obviously very worried about yeah. this stuff. But you've also got the issues of also been talking about like, like the news reports or the, the stuff that's leaking to the press about the murders is mm-hmm. basically saying like, don't blame Decepticons. Yeah, this is where I was saying that like Red Alert was being used to push them in the right direction. They're trying to make them report the truth that Decepticons were killed so the Senate can look on the surface like they're not anti-Decepticon so that when they do take anti-Decepticon measures it's like, well no, we we condemn those murders that happened (laughs) kind of thing. So they endeavour to steal the Matrix and as you alluded to, Prowl asks Optimus to keep Chrome Dome out of it in exchange for his silence. He's like, I'm not helping you steal the fucking Matrix but I won't say anything if you make sure my friend doesn't go with you. We learn about the outliers. They need a, a perfect replica of the Matrix and they go get one. I'm not going to get into it. This is where you get some expression of concern about the senator friend. Like they did some digging into his into his voting record. He's been thrown out of meetings five times for emotional outbursts on becoming of a senator. He's had several people modified to be able to carry the Matrix like he did to Optimus. Spends a lot of on off-world projects. These kinds of things. And they're like, are you sure you trust this guy? And he's like... Yeah, yeah, I do. It, it is funny, because none of those things really are, like, enough to make you feel like they are a no. bad person, but they're obviously, like, there's something sketchy going on. They're and trying I to do... communicate to you this guy may not be on the up and up. But, but they're not also... like he's evil, but, like, I don't know about this guy. But they're also interesting, because obviously we will find out that... I, mean, I don't think it's a spoiler at this point to say that, like, shadow play will be done on this senator and he will have his personality flipped. Completely, yes. But well, like We he's... are so close to getting to that. I, I know, but he's <laughs> still doing the same things. Yeah, it's just it puts the... a different bent on it, is, is the thing. Like, the actions are slightly shady, but not inherently evil, and then they will become full-blown 
super villainy, which yeah. if you don't know, you'd probably know now if you know anything about Transformers. But anyway, they go on the heist. It's a classic setup. Everybody fucking loves a heist. We've got cameras. So Roller hacks them. Roller is Optimus's friend. Who is the, eventually the namesake for his, like, trailer. little, little yeah. trailer. He will come back, Roller will. He's, he's just a big fucking guy and he's friendly. But I, I just thought it was important to note that, like, Roller is obviously very important to Optimus Prime and he is <laughs> literally invented for this book. Yeah, well, the, the trailer was called Roller, but he isn't him. So I think the implication is, as you said, that he's his old friend and then he named the trailer after him or whatever. Yeah, but, like, there is no there is no G1 character called Roller apart from Optimus's, like, rear truck. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, hammer, there's cameras, they get hacked. There's no flying within a hundred... If you try and fly within a hundred feet of it, miles of it, I don't know, not miles, that would be insane. Basically, if you turn into a jet and fly near it, you will, like, lose the you ability to, like, yeah, to tell where you are. <laughs> so, Luckily, yeah, they, they use... don't need to fly because no. they have someone who can levitate things. Yes, they stand on a big platform like it's fucking Zelda and they yeah, turn it into a flying thing. It's Breath of the Wild, they've got two minecarts and they're like <laughs> magnesing themselves into the air because that's how magnets work. Yes, there are 100 guards, they don't fight them, but there are 100 of them. There are weight-sensitive floor plates, so Skids lowers Optimus with a grappling hook, like Mission Impossible style, from the ceiling, and there is a laser grid which this character who can make non-sentient machinery malfunction he turns it off and there's a couple of you know as there always is there's a couple of moments where they almost blow it ratchet has like the matrix is locked into the body in like a really fucked up way that only ratchet can disarm it with his lightning hands like they're making a lot of how quick his hands are in the past to juxtapose with him you know his hands were all fucked up in the present and he was slower than he was and the, the grappling hook fails and wind charger has to levitate the matrix so they don't drop it but they get away with it. it. It's really good. I'm not glossing over it because it's bad. It's just, it's all action and it's it's just cool. Everyone loves a heist. But while they're doing this, the Senate make a move on this senator friend. They blow up the academy. The Xavier School of the Gifted is, is no more. There was an anonymous tip. Put a giant fucking pin in that. They get to the scene and try and make the save, but the senator gives himself up. and He's like, remember me as I was. And the good guys do survive it, but this senator is kidnapped. And uh, they try and go to the Institute to, like, expose everything. But then they realise there's more than one Institute, but they just call it the Institute as a cover. And the one that they went to has been, like, cleaned out and they lose the trail. In the present, everyone's called away by alarms and, like, Rung does finally respond because Skids annoys him about getting his name (laughs) wrong, which is good. And there's a very funny moment where Tailgate asks, whatever happened to Orion Pax? (laughs) Because he's the only one that doesn't know that that's Optimus Prime, who they've they've not used that word at any point. Again, it's a very funny book where, like, yeah, Yeah. as you say, like, uh, like Tailgate doesn't know that Orion Pax is Optimus Prime. There's the fact that, like, Swerve lets slip that, like, this is like the third time they're running this gambit on Rung, yes. and like you get the flashback <laughs> panels to like them doing other stories with other characters. That Roberts is like, <laughs> I just put five characters together who like would lead the reader to go like, why the hell were these characters all together? Or Absolutely. like, what thing happened to get these characters together? Obviously, it's just one of those things where like at this point in the book it makes sense, but mm-hmm. like when you get kind of like twenty issues down the road and you're like, no, no, this is like Team Rodimus. Like, of course, this would be the first choice. Yeah, Rewind would have for this. I don't know why Rewind didn't choose this as his first. Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> Maybe the other guys had better stories, you know? 
ones this where senators story... don't get kidnapped at the this end. Is, yeah, but this is this is a story involving Prowl and Orion Pax and like murder of the senator in a pre-war time. Conspiracies, and... institutes, like murder mystery, heist, and the, and the origin story for one of the biggest Decepticons. Yeah, so like their story ends there, but we as readers get the rest of the flashback. The senator undergoes both Imperator, which is where they replace your head and your hands, and Shadow Play, and it's like the most extensive shadow play ever done and they finally reveal his name is senator shockwave shockwave is one of the biggest decepticons like megatron is at the top and then you have a trio below him of soundwave shockwave and starscream probably a top five to six most recognizable transformer he is defined by being emotionless a mad scientist big big evil man And I think it's really clever to hone in on the fact that he has a single eye and one of his hands is a gun. Yeah. Which was always just, he just looks that way. He's just fucked up. And then Roberts, like, cleverly invents this concept of Imperator and, like, retroactively fits it to him. It's like, yeah, no, they replaced his head with one with only one eye because he was a victim of the Senate. And they completely invert his personality, which is why they went to such lengths to establish this guy's so emotional and he so cares about his appearance and everything so that they can then turn him into, like, the coldest motherfucker in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, like, he is he one of the, like, again, as you say, like, top five, top ten, like, Transformers of all time. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, great. Inducted into, like, the Transformers Hall of Fame in, like, year three. We will see him in the next movie episode we're doing looking very different. But, like, actually kind of being kind of a cool. good yeah a good version of the character which i think is the first time we'll say this i mean they kind of rob him of his like mad scientist traits sure, but, but yeah, like, like the, he's cool he no, by the he has standards no personality but he is yeah. an actual villain in a yeah. way that like megatron and starscream yeah. and and the fallen have not been to this yeah. point shockwave is a key character in the other book and that was intentionally part of this that they wanted to do a big reveal in the wrong book to keep you off the scent of who this senator is but yeah, so his friend was Senator Shockwave. Optimus and Shockwave have been best friends for like four and a half million years. And like he was at one point on the side of the angels trying to help everybody. Yeah. I, I do have a question as we wrap this up because you have read all the other book, although you, you don't read, you didn't read Optimus Prime when they like retitled the other book, did you? I started it, but... Uh... Yeah. Do they ever actually have Optimus and Shockwave like having a conversation about this? Because obviously like this reveal oh, yeah. happened. <laughs> Oh yeah, Shockwave is like the main, in a world where things are done with Megatron, Shockwave kind of becomes the main villain. <laughs> okay, that leaves me excited, because I've not read the other book, and, I, and like, the spoilers for the rest of this book, Optimus and Shockwave won't really factor in outside no, of Dark Cybertron. No, but it's just, it's a fun thing, it's like throwing people off the scent, it's a big reveal, they're using this to also like explain what Imperator is, what Shadowwave is... It's fun. It's a really, it's a cool little arc. I realize we've spent an extremely long time on the, the annual and that, and then we've got some other heavy shit to get into, so let's, let's keep moving. Issue 12 is called Before and After. Unfortunately, for the purposes of pace, I think this might be the single best issue we've, we've had so far. It's a big gimmick issue. It's fun because it's literally like, it's told from the perspective of like before and after a battle with like a big timer going on, and you're like yeah. flitting between finding out what 
happened before, during, and afterwards with like these interstitials about kind of like defining what went on in time. And as it goes through, you get like so many character beats because it's like so it's, it's re- really good. It has stuff to do for Swerve, for Tailgate, for Rewind, for Whirl, for Chrome Dome, for Rewind. Like it's it's yeah. genuinely like I mean again like I say it's not stuff for Swerve. One of my favorite things is like they're the like leaving off. the planet. <laughs> yeah, they're leaving the planet at the end, and like they've got so many casualties and stuff like that, and everyone's worried and like I can't remember who it is that taps on Swerve's shoulder and they're just like, Swerve, I need your help here, and then they turn around and like his his face has been blown off, yep. and then like five pages later they reveal that he was given a gun by brain uh, by Brainstorm and like shot himself in the face essentially <laughs> yep, so he I, survives, don't worry he which d- is- he's absolutely fine, next time you see him there's no mention of this, it's kind of fucked up I actually owned a script from this so in addition oh, to the nice. notebooks that exists roberts has also like auctioned off scripts signed and stuff and like there's nothing really extra to glean from reading it like it's annotated a bit but like seeing how their how our comic book script is formatted was really interesting to me and like we have all these like really niche characters in the background and like he's writing all those names in like he he knows specifically like oh pick anyone from this group and he's just rattling off like 10 obscure transformers like yeah if possible do this person this person this person this person and it's just like dude your mind is (laughs) dangerous yeah they're, they're heading to a decepticon occupied planet you may be wondering why are the decepticon occupied planets like the war is over it's that thing of like not everyone got the memo some people are like well these are all my friends and i love killing people so we're gonna keep doing that together yeah like like a message <laughs> went out but it's not like everyone was listening to their radio at the same time exactly. and like, like and even then it's like cybertron sent out a message but then some people are going to be like uh, I'm not sure if I believe this. And so you've got like these various holdouts of people who are like still fighting the war. Like we've met Tarn. Tarn is one of those people who's like, the war isn't over until I've got <laughs> all the the distance. He and says now- until Megatron says it is, and no one knows where Megatron is. So it's like, um, are you just gonna kill people forever? Yes, yes, yeah. he is. So they're getting ready to go and like liberate this planet that's occupied. There's some good stuff with them, like preparing to go, and some of them are like really hyper for it and some of them are like nervous and crying on a rewinder in a fight they get down there and there's this huge violent battle and they win but there's heavy casualties and i think this is actually really good stuff because it's like they're not well about how much they're good at violence you know like some of them seem like they're only actually feeling anything when they're doing hyper violent murders to each other you get tailgate saying it's a bit full on isn't it when they're all fighting each other like the little ones keep off to the side and they're like doing some stealth reconnaissance and then you've got like magnus like slaughtering people and drift with a smile on his face as he's cutting people's heads off and well doing the like oh my god you sound exactly like megatron and then he tries (laughs) to do an impression of optimus prime can't do it gets frustrated so blows his head off and it's just like it's a really good little commentary on how like they are completely defined by this war they know nothing else they are incapable of peace and some of them are only truly happy when they're doing this stuff there's something looney tunes-esque yeah about a lot of this where it's like and i guess it's able to do that because they're all not human and so therefore Mm -hmm. death feels less real well yeah like drift stabs a guy through the back of the face the blade comes through his face this guy's alive (laughs) he's in prison in the next issue and he's fine like the thing is, and that it, it's kind of simultaneously a weakness and a strength of the book. Yeah. In that awful, awful stuff happens, like heads get detached, heads get blown off, and all the rest of it. And you're, 
you struggle to figure out like who is actually at risk and dying and i think it says a lot for the book that kind of three issues after this they're actually able to like play off the death and have it mean something yeah but like yeah in this book so many characters are at death's door because obviously chrome dome is like the back of this issue is basically all about chrome dome trying to get rewind to be saved because he was he was in some kind of accident on this planet and all the rest of it and they're trying to mine this tension here but when you've seen swerve blow his face off and you've seen (laughs) these characters like have their head blown off and stuff like that you're kind of like okay how are they going? this is serious his spark is shrinking and he's a very little bot so he's not going to bounce back from it and that is the narrative tension here is that rewind is very seriously hurt chrome dome is very cut about cut up about it he's trying to like give the equivalent of like blood transfusions and he's not a match and and do a jump start and they're not compatible and this is where we get what you were alluding to they drop this terminology conjuncts endurer which is james roberts for robots that are married so they are kind of copping out of it a bit but this is where we get it established. Chrono and Rewind are married. Cyclonus is also injured, and Tailgate is, like, trying to drag him by the foot, but because Cyclonus is, like, four times his size, he's, like, barely able to move him. And, like, everyone is, like, crowding around to help Rewind, and then only Tailgate can- cares about Cyclonus. He's like, can you help him as well? Yeah, yeah. because Cyclonus is a Decepticon on a board filled with mostly Autobots, even yeah. though Cyclonus isn't, uh, isn't a Decepticon, but, like, exactly. yeah. So we see in the past that Rewind and Tailgate the two little ones who are sneaking off, they come across a bunch of... They're turning organic beings into energon. They're just, like, mushing people into a grinder to turn them into energy. It's fucked up. Uh, They also find a bomb, and Tailgate has been saying all along he is a bomb disposal expert. He also said he is on the Primal Vanguard, which are the 100 elite soldiers that were guarding the Matrix in the flashback. (laughs) Tailgate is clearly not one of them. He has this bomb. And through a series of these flashbacks, he's basically going to coax a guess out of Rewind about how would you disarm the bomb? He's like, very good, that's exactly what I would do. And it will eventually come to light, basically, he's not a bomb disposal expert. <laughs> he is waste disposal and basically had someone write on his... He, he was, it's it's um, Ratchet, Ratchet, isn't it? Yeah. So the W, was, the waste was etched off. And when he's getting general repairs, he has him write bomb back on it. Tailgate has been telling very tall tales about his past throughout the book. It isn't this issue, but let's just, in the interest of time, like, Tailgate has basically been making everything up because he was a lowly little man and he has no, because he slept through the war. He just wants to be, like, an important guy. And... Yeah, and it's kind of why he's been, like, buddying up with Cyclonus, because not only are they, like, from the same era, but mm-hmm. he's also, like, this is someone that could blow my cover. And Cyclonus, yeah. at the end of this issue, is like, thank you for, like, saving my life, but, like, I was on the arc that you say that you were going to be on, and I know who that entire crew was going to be, yeah. and, and you, you were, were not on it. it. Yeah, exactly. And he agrees to keep a secret, because I think he just... I mean, he puts it as, every day you ask me for a drink, and every day I say no, and every day you ask me again kind of thing like he's the only one who's being nice to him on a ship full of people that hate him basically and like he is a very surly character but i think even he is like you know what this guy's here for me i shouldn't be such a dick to him (laughs) and does literally save his life i do think it's one of those things where like they take like tailgate in the early going is he's paired with swerve a lot they're both the little tiny ones like Mm -hmm. he basically does bounce between being with swerve and being with cyclonus a lot of the time and it's to Robert's credit that he manages to get as strong an arc out of Tailgate yep. as he does. It probably is one of the like strongest start-to-end arcs. Yeah, yeah. Probably I think there. this book is de- is defined by the minis. Like, it is Swerve, it is Rewind, it is Tailgate. Like, these little guys have so much heart 
and uh, and got ones who are like normally like fobbed off in the yeah. like even even someone like Bumblebee who is smaller than your average. But he's bigger Autobot. than these guys. He's, he's bigger than these. And guys. he's a combat bot, whereas these guys are all kind of like sort of scientists. Like they they will pull guns and fire them, but like they're not really. <laughs> but it is just that thing where like I feel like in the toys, surely Bumblebee is like a similar size to some of these guys, or is he like even bigger than? Probably, but like yeah, in these books, it's very much a small, smaller, smallest kind of. <laughs> yeah, Bum- Bumblebee has basically like he also gets sized up yeah, eventually. Yeah, he like yeah, he basically yeah. is like, yeah, you're no longer a VW Beetle, you're now a, a, a Chevy or whatever. Yeah, like. whatever. So while they are sort of waiting on a prognosis for Rewind, Chromedome and Tailgate talk about how they met, as in Chromedome and Rewind, and we learn that Rewind has a long lost love called Dominus Ambus. And... Put a pin in it. <laughs> yeah. We also learn sort of like why they're fighting. So like Rewind is technically a non-combatant because his database is of value. Like he's basically a wartime photographer, so he should be combat exempt. But he throws himself into combat anyway, so Chrome Dome's mad at him. They met at a suicide clinic. <laughs> Chrome <laughs> Dome wanted to kill himself. This this thing was operating in the middle of the war. War was tough. People from both sides would sit silently in this waiting room, not trying to kill each other because they wanted to kill themselves. And Chromedome says, sitting in that room with those Decepticons, I have never felt closer to anyone before. And it's like, whoa, dude. (laughs) The guy that we just had a flashback with as a cop seemed kind of like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And he reached a point in the war where he wanted to kill himself. And it, it's so interesting as well, like because we've obviously the the touchstone of this book is like Red Dwarf Futurama and stuff like yeah. that. To compare this to the first episode of Futurama, <laughs> the which, Suicide Booth, yeah. the Suicide Booth, where like Fry is just like actually, just, Fry doesn't do it on purpose, does he? It's Bender who's doing it on purpose, and Fry is Fry like, thinks trying it's to make a line for a phone booth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very. Like, it's, again, it's one of those things where, like, because that is a dark joke, but it's yeah. done for comedy. Yeah. Whereas this is just dark. This is just really bleak. Yeah. Rewind wasn't there to kill himself. Rewind was there to find Dominus Ambus, who was his. Let's just say he was his boyfriend. Like, <laughs> I think that is the strong implication, but they go with best friend. They spent a lot of time together exploring. They tried to find the missing moon of Cybertron. They came home and the war had broken out. They got separated. Rewind has been trying to find him ever since, so he he searches anywhere he can to try and find evidence that if he's alive or dead, including a place where people kill themselves. So they meet each other there. They don't actually. They kind of leave it there, but it's kind of the strong implication there is Rewind gave Chrome Dome a reason to live, and he knows, or he thinks he knows, that he is second best to Dominus Ambus, and he's willing to just be in the light of this person who is the light of his life. Even though he believes Rewind does not feel the same way about him. And it's it's super fucked up. Like, you said last time, you think Chrome Dome is like the triumph of this book. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Rereading these two volumes, I'm like, oh, he's so fucking right. Like, <laughs> Chrome Dome is like such a blank slate that gets all this pain and heart and love. And yeah, he's so good. And like, not to spoil where this goes, but like, it's so refreshing that it isn't just pain. Mm-hmm. Like, this early going makes it seem like this is going to be, like, the bleakest book in the world. But, like, yeah. they actually managed to wring, like, some some joy and happiness from they this did. character, ultimately. And there was a point it was going to go very south, and he chose to abort an entire storyline, which I think will come up in a minute. But in the interest of not having it be the bleakest fucking thing imaginable, he, he aborted a whole storyline. Rewind does end up recovering, thanks to Whirl, who's able to give him a jump start. 
There's a whole thing with like donations of innermost energon. So it's like, I guess it's like the blood immediately around your heart. You put it in a little vial and you leave it next to somebody who's in a bad way. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and they bring up the fact that like Chromedom is born dry, where he has, none, yeah. he has none of this, so he can't give it to anyone. Yeah. And they keep on flashing to like this pile of innermost energon next to them or whatever. And is the implication that like loads of people have given yeah, their innermost energon? I think he's a very to- popular bot and like everyone's chipped in kind of thing. But well, that's so interesting is because the way they talk about it is like this is like a almost like romantic gesture almost and but i think it's also a best friends thing because we'll get into the specific implications of the difference between the two and how the ceremonies for both i think they both involve that kind of gesture so i guess i, I think because... rewind's just insanely popular yeah, I, I get that. It's just the book mm. hasn't invested his time with other characters True. in that way. So it's not like I can go there and go like, oh, okay, so that that is like Swerve and that is like the, yeah. these like five characters. Like, the, yeah, yeah. There isn't anyone else I could see him having that relationship with and being given that innermost energon. Yeah. And it's also what makes the moment between because Tailgate is like only just finding out about this which yes. I guess Tailgate like, is our exposition character so he asks questions that we might want to know as well and basically is like oh this is a sweet gesture I'll give some of mine to Cyclonus, Cyclonus. yeah who, who like, wakes up, like, disturbs him placing the vial and basically, like, spills his innermost energy on everywhere. Yeah, smashes and, it on and, the floor, is like, get the fuck away from me. It just... This is what inspires their, like, their chat about kind of like it. Yeah. And, and it is Cyclonus softening and kind of like... Because he feels bad. He looks over at all of Rewind's... And he looks over at his own and, like, this was the only one. And it's like, let me help you clear all that up, basically. They do this gorgeous thing where they replicate the panel and they do a shift of focus. So, like, everything becomes fuzzy except for the donations at Rewind's side. You don't see that kind of thing a lot in comics. Like, trying to, like, replicate camera tricks. But I always appreciate it when they do it. And Tailgate's innermost energon is green while everyone else's is pink. La 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 la. Um, <laughs> we get the final reveal of what actually happened here, how people got injured. Tailgate couldn't defuse the bomb. So Will and Cyclonus have been having a feud. Cyclonus promised he would kill him one day. And Will keeps on getting in the upper hand in these situations he where does. like Cyclonus isn't thinking about it and Will is always like Well he does say like, oh maybe we're becoming friends. He's like, no, I'm still gonna kill you one day. He's like, hmm, okay. So <laughs> he locks Cyclonus in the room with the bomb. And rewind, <laughs> Cyclonus threw Tailgate to safety, because Tailgate was still trying to defuse the bomb. There are many things you can read into psychologically why he would still be trying to do it, knowing he can't. But uh, Cyclonus throws him literally to safety, gets locked in, and then Cyclonus protects Rewind from the from the blast, like takes the whole thing to the face. Rewind almost dies, Cyclonus lives because he's bigger than him, basically. But like, this is ice fucking cold of well. Like he was gonna kill Rewind to like get ahead of Cyclonus. And, and that's what's so fun about Whirl, where Whirl is literally like bouncing between raging psychopath willing to kill anyone and then also being probably like the second or third most consistent comedy character. Whirl is bugs in bunny. the book. He, yeah. He's fucking insane and he can be anything you want him to be. <laughs> but he's um, Bugs Bunny if he wasn't the hero. That's true. That is true. Because I think it's like, because Bugs Bunny is always like vaguely sympathetic because other people are trying to kill him, but this is like, true. what if Bugs Bunny was Elmer Fudd? Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair. So that's the implication because Whirl is the one that ends up giving the jump start to rewind. Chrome Dome can't do it because his spark is weak. 
implication being because he injects too much it's weakened him while is the one who steps up and gives the jump start the implication being he feels guilty he almost fucking killed rewind <laughs> but i also interpreted this as a callback to we mentioned it when the spark eaters on the loose whirl pretends his door is broken and he's like holding the the hold button closed and here he's like oh i'm trying to open the door for you and he's not at all and it's like giving a really dark twist he's twice done this and people have died or almost died <laughs> Yeah, and it just ends there. It's super fucked up. I really think, good issue. Can, though, can we think. talk about like the romantic pairings that have gone on so far? Because obviously, yeah, I mean, yeah, like the, this whole like Cyclonus is thawing to tailgate it is going to go in a romantic direction. I don't think that's spoiling anything to get into. But the other one that kind of like is is softly in the background a lot of stuff here is the Rodimus drift relationship where yep. like there are literal panels of like people walking in on them and they're like in <laughs> almost like tender embrace and like, this is like again why volume three is so good is like this is the one where the book kind of goes like what if we're like actually kind of gay in like a big way and like it's just basically everyone is like in a romantic pairing at this point yeah you've got a, like you've got like a drift ratchet tension you've got a rodimus drift you've got like, cyclonus and tailgate cyclonus tailgate rewind chrome dome chrome dome prowl in the past there are even some suggestions of stuff with like i think as originally written you wanted swerve and tailgate to be very very good friends <laughs> I think. See, that one I don't buy. I that don't either. Just because I don't, like, not that I view any of these robots as sexual, I just don't think Swerve is capable of having that kind of relationship with no. someone. Speaking like, Swerve of... to me is, like, massively ace, essentially. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I, I think he just is happy hanging out with everyone being buds, and he doesn't get that far about what happens yeah. next. And he is a key part of this next one. It's called Cybertronian Homesick Blues. Named... Which opens with the most alarming cover of the series, because you're like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, are they going back to Earth? What's going on? Yes, there are humans all over the cover. This is one where, like, we could spill all over it, but I don't think there's that much need to. They basically go on shore leave to get drunk together, and to go there, it's a planet that maybe fears Cybertronians, so they have to use this technology that came up earlier of, like, they can project little hard light holograms that look human, and they all are based on their subconscious except for Ultra Magnus, who, like, does an impression of someone he actually knows, because that's who he is. But they all end up with a little human version of themselves, which, they're delightful, quite frankly. So Rewind is called Joe Human, and he's kind of like an LA hipster. He's got, like, a soul patch. He's got a Divine Comedy t-shirt. He's holding a video camera. Swerve is called Mr. Person. <laughs> he's a short, hairy guy in a Hawaiian shirt, and he's got sunglasses that look a lot like... He's got, like, a visor for eyes. Skids has a pocketbook that is blank, because he has amnesia. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Um, he also looks a bit like the Tenth Doctor. Yes, so there's... On the cover, they have slightly different designs. On the cover, he looks like James Bond. In the book, he looks like one of the Doctors. I don't know which one. Is he supposed to be David Tennant? Like, He's either Tennant or Matt Smith. I, I, I gotcha. went with Ten. Okay. Rung is called Mary Sue, <laughs> which... Which is... James Roberts, like, putting a lampshade on the fact that everyone <laughs> seems to think that Rung is him. People think he's an author insert. He's like, no, he isn't, but I'll play with it and call him Mary Sue. Uh, he's in, like, a horrible orange suit. He's got glasses, a bad hat. He's got graying hair. Tailgate is a baby in a papoose. Literally just strapped <laughs> to somebody's back. Deeply. <laughs> I forgot that one. Invites such deep questioning. Well, might have an even more fucked up design because he is a... Are we going to say, like... 
11-year-old girl Ple- with preteen, eye yeah. yeah. With, <laughs> with an, an eye, eye patch, patch and machine guns. Two Uzis, denim dress that has the Autobot logo on it. Like, hi, I'm here to murder everyone, <laughs> kind of thing. Very kind of hit girl, but like even more perverse. And then Magnus is boring, so he does an impression of a girl that is in a different book. Don't worry about it. But yeah, they go, they get really drunk. Yeah, Magnus. Magnus, Magnus gets like tricked into like taking really strong energon and turning off his like fuel intake, so he gets like mega drunk. like he basically falls unconscious the moment after they he takes think a drink. they've killed him. <laughs> Which is quite a funny beat to like play for a minute. They play the Nemesis game where they all have to name who their like worst enemy is, and we get mm-hmm. more of Whirl and um, Killmaster. Killmaster, the one with the wand, which is yeah. just like all exclusively how Killmaster is referred to is like anytime he's come up in any of the times he's been referenced, it's like oh the guy with the wand. Yeah. And obviously Roberts is going to pay this off at some point. It is just quite funny that like every time it's like, they're like you're like what do you mean a wand? What's this going to look like? <laughs> He is drawn very briefly in a flashback, but like, yeah, we'll get to him. Yeah, they think they've killed Magnus. Somebody says this big night out was the worst idea since Megatron decided that mining wasn't his thing. <laughs> Good stuff. While Magnus is drunk as a skunk, he he reveals he's tried to quit the crew several times, that he loves music, and he blames everything on Tyrest. He offered things and I took them. Put a pin in it. Cyclonus causes a big scene... And this is where we get that thing. Like, it's finally confirmed Tailgate's lying. He basically, Cyclonus pretends to be drunk when he isn't because they're about to show footage of the ship taking off that Tailgate claimed he was going to be on and it would have proven he wasn't there. So Cyclonus, like, causes a scene because everyone already hates him to cover his secret and he ends up teaching him how to sing an old Cybertronian, which everyone else finds terrifying he's like smiling as he's getting it wrong and it's 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 really fucking cute to be completely honest with you <laughs> they, and, they and have to get I him guess... back to the to the ship the narrative device that has been framing all of this is they found a way to send messages home and swerve has been telling us all he is best friends with blur who is the transformers equivalent of like Usain Bolt, he's like a, or, or Lewis Hamilton, he's like a, he's a sportsman, he's a champion speedster, he's really, really famous, and Swerve is like, oh, we're best friends. So he leaves this nine-hour message for him, where he tells him all about the exploits of drunkenness. Yeah, and tell, like, tells him all about, like, how they couldn't lift Ultra Magnus, so, like, yeah. they, they bunked bounce on him as humans, he turned into his alt mode, but it was upside down, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, like, he's telling this story, and then at the end of it, they're just like, you sure you got Blur's number? We can't actually, like, yeah. send this message to him. Blur fake-numbered him, and Swerve... Four, four million years ago is the other thing, yeah. is that, like, like you get the flashback to this moment where Blur gives him... Swerve is talking to him after he wins, like, his fourth race or whatever, and, yeah. and is just like... And Blur's just like, oh, once I'm done, I'll probably open up a bar, and Swerve's just like, open a bar with me, here, give me your number, and yeah. Blur gives it's him... It's so sad, because it's like, it motivated everything he did after that, like, he's been telling everybody their best friends when clearly like this was the only interaction they ever had he took that dream forward and he did open a bar and in the other book blur did open another bar (laughs) but like yeah it's a really sad little thing yeah and uh, that thing is and it It, it's like a run of everyone developing foibles swerve is revealed to have this like parasocial relationship with blur that's kind of sad and stalky like we've seen the stuff with tailgates lies and rewinds past and chrome dome's got a problem like everyone in this arc is developing their like deep character flaws that 
saw them all get on a ship to just fly to nowhere. Yeah. And I think the biggest weakness is is that like the two characters that have not really had this development because they've Rodimus. kind of been it's it's Rodimus and it's Drift. The two yeah. characters that have kind of hung around in main plot world. I can definitely understand how like if you're reading these and I tell you Rodimus is my favourite character, you'd be like, why? He's like never fucking here and he's just yeah. like Joe Good Guy and it's like I think he's gonna have They'll give him something in the second half of the book that I think gives him a lot more to play with. But that's the thing, like this is when they really establish like who the main Rodimus crew are, and yeah. fundamentally, like Ratchet got his go early, but he's also yep. kind of like fucked off from the book. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see him here and there. But like yeah. Drift and Rodimus are in like main character world, but like everyone else is like it's Whirl, it's Cyclonus, it's Telgate, it's Swerve, yeah. it's Chromedome, it's Rewind. Like basically, the, the people the that told the story and Cyclonus. Basically, this is the like these are our little secret main characters. Kind of yeah, thing. but now we're heading into a point. Where like obviously Chromedome is the soft lead, I feel, mm. of of like this this it's, chunk now. It's time for some people to die. <laughs> <laughs> Chromedome has now fucked up because in this issue, oh no, so in the previous issue, someone came to Chromedome's room and was just like, Hey, you should look in the basement. He's like, Hey, Decepticons are still out there and rewind almost died and you wouldn't want anyone else to have to go through what that happened and he's like okay and chromedone's been injecting overlord to probe his memories to find out how to make a bot as strong as overlord overlord is is a phase sixer we talked about it a little bit last time they're like Megatron's absolute strongest warriors. Yeah, like like they say that like Megatron, Optimus, Tarn, these are all like naturally strong Cybertronians. And none of and them are as strong as, as the Phase yeah. Sixers. The and every like... Phase Sixer is a Decepticon and Prowl is like, why is that? Why are these like supernaturally strong? Yeah. He's like, like there is there is a secret source and I want to know what it is, and I want you to go into his memories. And this is what he was pressuring him about when the book began. He was like, Hey, you need to stay here and you need to use your skills to help this race. Prowl wants to make an Autobot phase sixer. Prowl will never let go of the war. Prowl is pointing guns in peacetime. That's his whole shtick. So that is why Overlord is instead loaded onto the ship and Chrome Dome is gently nudged towards a point where he's injecting again and where he feels a need to protect Rewind. So he is willing to basically go and talk to Hannibal Lecter, which is the vibe that he very explicitly writes that he wants for these scenes. And this issue fucking rules. It it really rules. It was originally called Chrome Dome versus Overlord and then the next one is like Overlord versus everyone or something like that. Right, Uh, but it's just one of those things where like, and so the other book at this point is deeply embroiled in what is known as the Combiner Wars, Mm. where combining multiple Autobots Decepticons together creates like a stronger robot that like is a gestalt being made up of like multiple different kind of like mindsets and how this is like fundamentally compromised and it's so much less interesting than this where like that is just like obviously it's cool when you buy a toy and you can combine five of them like we make we love voltron it it is cool it's fun to play with and like combiners are some of the most consistently well-selling toys but like there's nothing interesting about well there's very little interesting about like they're trying to make something interesting with it in the other book where like they're kind of toying with like what if you like stamped someone's brain so hard that you were able to like basically like force them into being a combiner and like what happens if one of the six of them dies like what happens to the rest of them 
from like whereas this book is so like this is one of the strongest decepticons he is like canonically stronger than megatron Mm. and yet megatron consistently kicked his ass every time they fought each other yeah Um, but but that's the thing is like this book is like what would it take psychologically to have the strongest being in the universe and have it be subservient to this thing without him going rogue and obviously like last stand of the wreckers which is the book where overlord kind of like kind of came to the fore because obviously he is he has been around g1 but he is he's like a japanese character isn't he like kind of yeah yeah he roberts wrote him to be this just like unspeakable horror monster in last stand of the wreckers where he is doing such violence in in books that are already filled with such violence like he's a he's a supreme badass like nobody can take him one-on-one literally nobody and yeah so chrome dome is exploring his past like he's completely safe overlord is is stuck and he's experiencing things at a rate of like 30 minutes to five seconds or five minutes or so i don't know he's experiencing time slowly he's fully restrained he can't do anything so chrome dome is safe he's just sitting on his head injecting him and he's in his memories and it's all like white well, he's like, some of it, he's like in the background of his memories and Overlord like can barely, barely knows he's there. And we see like some redrawn panels from, from his past. We see him fighting Megatron in the gladiator pits of old Cybertron. And there's a, there's a fun little line about how, oh, this is a sign of memory decay because most of the crowd are the same color and every fourth person is missing their face, which is like a little cute wink and a nod at like, when you have to draw a crowd, you know. Yeah, you, you it, rush job it a little bit. That, you clone it's, people. It's probably a dig at like kind of the old old animation cells as well. Yeah. But like, it does give that thing where it's like I can pinpoint the the age that you are based on this information. Like, you yeah. are four million years old because your memory has like dissolved this amount and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's just it works really effectively to have this kind of like you see Chrome Dome in his element where mm-hmm. he's like doing he's the, the master of his domain, master yeah. of his domain, and then Overlord is also getting this like really quick backstory and. And it's just a really effective like one issue explainer of this guy yeah. yeah like you see the the procedure being done to him they use the last of their special stuff to turn him into this in their words he's basically invulnerable it takes a herculean effort to damage and, and defeat yeah, him they're like they need to put this metal on him anything over 90 percent basically will make him like indestructible i don't think they yeah. say like what percentage he actually ends I think up he's like 96 i yeah. feel they do say it but like yeah you can imagine there's a theoretical narrative the thing there to do that well this guy's a hundred or whatever but they install a kill switch in him shockwave does to make sure he never turns on him we also see an interesting thing where like in all of the defeats he suffers a character says till all are one and it's jarring because one of these we've actually seen before and that person did not say that they also say he's about 4.2 million years old and the reason that's important is the prologue to this issue is called a functionalist calls and it's on a moon and some miners discover a glowing green thing 4.2 million years ago and one of the functionalist council who will be really important later but they're the people that are the they are most rigidly enforcing if you turn into this you are that they are not the government they are not the senate they're kind of like bigger than that but like the senate like tolerate them but like are above them technically but they find this green thing and they talk about this thing being a 0.1 percenter which they do say is a grave misuse of statistics because it's actually not like 0.01 percent the the strong implication is this is the spark that became overlord and this is what prowl was talking about when like certain bots are like once in a generation tough and overlord is one of these and that's why he's able to withstand 
the process of being turned into a phase sixer. You couldn't just do this to anyone, you need someone who's got a magical green spark. I do think it's interesting that even though you have this like magical green spark and they do get into like who the point one percenters are and like mm-hmm. a lot of them are like characters who we know because it is like Grimlock. Yeah, Bob. like I don't think Optimus is one actually. But... Uh, Optimus is one. Oh, Overlord he is. Okay. is one. Megatron is one. Grimlock is one. Roller, Scorponok, Shockwave, the big guys. The a like lot yeah, Tarn, Fort Max. Like yeah, like a lot yeah. of these guys are, but. It's interesting because that also doesn't build into the idea of functionalism. Where, like, just because you've got this amazing spark doesn't mean you'll actually end up with, like... It doesn't give you political power. No. It's just, like, you are a spark that can take on more stuff. But, like, you have Optimus is a a police officer and Megatron (laughs) is a a minor. Like, it doesn't give you any special standing in society, which I find really interesting. Where, like, it only really matters to... the thing is, Megatron... We'll get to it. Megatron is there's there's some dubiousnesses to his origin that will become relevant here, but it also kind of shows that even the most holy of holy are corrupt because they reward the people that found this thing by being like, Yeah, yeah, you're alt mode exempt, which means we preach these values, but you can be whatever you want. And the person who discovered this is one of the senators that was murdered in Shadow Play. So he goes from being in charge of a mining site to a senator because he found a glowing orb so like even the people who are the most strict to the code are fucking corrupt and it's it's good stuff basically overlord ends up we find out he's an amateur nemosurgeon he he turns the thing on itself because they end up in a shared memory where overlord met chrome dome once before they did like Soundwave had been taken capture uh, prisoner somewhere Overlord led a raid to rescue him, and he shot Chrome Dome in the process. And and that basically allows Overlord to kind of, like, flip the, you know, surgery it's, around. It's really well done, because he's like, wait, hang on. You left the room at this point. How come we're still seeing my memories? Or your memories? It's because like, it's, it's your memory. And he, yeah, he's turned it on him. Like, yeah. it, like the it carries on past where it should have ended. And, and the reason why he's done this is because... Chrome Dome fucked up by mentioning that Megatron's alive. Because and he didn't as... even say he's alive. He just said he's assumed to be alive. Yeah. And that's, and... that's what is the most fucked up thing about it. Is like, and Overlord even that. is just like, yeah, Overlord is just like, the last thing he heard is that Megatron was dead and he took over Garrus 9. And now that Megatron might be alive, he's like, oh. He reveals he could have broken out of the restraints at any time and he just had given up on life. And hearing Megatron is alive is like, well, I better escape then. And... <laughs> He sure as shit does. And he wanted yeah. to learn nemosurgery so he could learn how to override his kill switch. And the second Megatron got wind he was doing this, he killed his teacher and shut it down. That is super important for yeah. later. The other thing that's here is that, like, reading this again made me really want an Overlord toy. Oh, yeah, he's cool, man. He's, he's Overlord... a really good design. Overlord fucking rules. Like, yeah. again, I'm just, I'm, like, keeping track of, like, which ones I actually want toys. It's like, Chrome Dome, <laughs> Overlord, Shockwave, Tarn... Yeah, the fucked uh, up again, ones. <laughs> but again, the, the issue is the issue is again that like they don't have enough IDW design ones because all no, of them have got a bit like, little... shittier than they should. <laughs> I know, and that's the thing is like I understand that they're all based on the old cartoons, but I look at the Overlord toys and I'm like, none of these guys are like. It doesn't look you... as good. Yeah. yeah, you really wish that these t- comics sold a shitload and like somebody was just lining up to make merch of all of it. But hey, I um... mean, maybe we'll have something to discuss because like we're like a week away from that rumored Robert Kirkman Transformers reboot that's yeah. coming. Yeah. By the time you're hearing this, you'll know. Whether or not the writer of The Walking Dead is is heading up a new Transformers like 
publishing a, a new story. Era. It might not be, but yeah. I think there's, there's enough smoke now at this point that yeah. I think people are very convinced. It does seem like it. Also, something subtly thrown in here is Chrome Dome was like persuaded to do Nemo surgery on Autobots to make them fall in line, kind of thing. Like when we last saw him in flashback, he was interested in Nemo surgery. And now he's working at the new institute and like subtly brainwashing their soldiers to be good boys and girls. Like, mm. and we actually see a flashback because Overlord's like, while I'm here, might as well probe through your mind and find the like lock to the door kind of thing. Prowl, this is where he's asking him to do all of this to Overlord. It's where he explains he wants to make a phase sixer. He makes a mysterious veiled threat about Rewind, discovering the truth. So Chrome Dome fucking injects him and removes that threat and the knowledge of it. This is what he removed from their, like, backstory. This was going to end in a dark place where, like, Chrome Dome was involved in Dominus Ambus going missing. So, like, this was going to be this, like, irreparable drift between them. And he took that out. He didn't want them to fight. Basically. Yeah, they never, do they ever actually, like, no. give a give a reason of what this is? This is just, like, a big... No, we only know because he, he has said this is what it was. No, but they, he doesn't, do he doesn't fill in something else, does he? No, like, he, never, he never fills it back. It is literally a dangling thread forever that he wishes he didn't write into the book, I think. Other than it makes Chrome Dome look badass because he fucking took Prowl and, like, <laughs> iced his brain for a second. I think it is just a shame where it's like, I'm sure he could have come up with something else, but, like, because he doesn't have control of Prowl, because... Prowl isn't big enough, as we said earlier, to like make a dent on this, but like he yeah. is enough that he can lead another book. So yeah, Overlord like probes his memories, finds the the override locks, like gets out of the cell and just tells him, So, for you, <laughs> five seconds is gonna be thirty minutes. I'm gonna go kill everybody. <laughs> and Boy, howdy, what an issue. And it should be said, Megatron did actually return in the other book around this time. I think it was like one issue earlier or two, maybe. So that yeah, but like things, it was... The issue is, is that like that Megatron return is oh, it's so... awful. It's Fucking so terrible. climactic. It's just like the end of one issue. And, like, and then Megatron walked out of the desert and you're like, wait, what? Why? what the fuck yeah, like it sucks why is this happening whereas this book is just like you literally have both books are kind of like building to their like quote-unquote season one conclusion but this book is obviously better constructed than the other book especially yeah. at this point where i would say that like the first eight issues or so of the other book are tighter in terms of what you think you want them to be yeah and then it kind of devolves into like well now we need to do an optimus storyline and now megatron needs to come back and now we need to do combiner wars and you're mm. like what 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 whereas this book is kind of like got through so much baggage and is now just fully paying off stuff that's been yeah. like in the marginalia for like the early issues and is like concluding a lot of stuff that's been done so you're like overlord we've known has been there since like issue four i want to say like when Something whenever like that, yeah and he's so, referred like, to an issue like load it up or whatever in the, in the very you know like yeah and this is paying that off. And this isn't even the season finale. Like The season no. finale we're doing next week. Yeah. Well, not next week, but two weeks from now. Yeah. What, this issue opens on a splash page. <laughs> of like, Overlord, Chrome like, Dome killing everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, he's got, like, Rodimus in his hand. And, like, Chrome Dome's, like, there looking for Rewind. And just, like, the entire cast is, like, being, like, beaten up in front of everyone. Yeah. And, and then we flash back and basically just get to see, like, again, even in this issue where, like, they flash back the 30 minutes so you can kind of, like, like see where everyone's at every mm -hmm. single character is doing like a little character beat some but... of the funniest stuff in the book is in these 30 minutes before they all die and like that's such a funny juxtaposition like we get this whole thing where rewind goes to visit brainstorm because brain chromedone has been saying brainstorm's name in his sleep and brainstorm's like whoa who's more embarrassed you or me him <laughs> it's you and he's invented an ennui gun <laughs> And 
Pipes nearly shrugged himself to death because he was hit by the Ennui gun, which is just great. There's the meta bomb, which yes, like, which Swerve uh, claims which... didn't work, and then he's like, they're talking about something that happened off, off panel. panel. It's uh, really really good. So I really love like the bit with Pipes, where Pipes is like he goes to find Blaster, who's in charge of like the the like sending the messages off the ship, and is just like, I've got a message from my friend Hubcap, and he's like, I'm having a great time. I got shot a couple been... of times. I got sick, but it's all fine. And then Overlord steps on him and kills him. Twice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, and then, like, but then you get this, like, actually kind of, like, again, little moment of characterization for a character who has really, really been on the margin earlier, like, mm. up until this point, where he's, like, so discombobulated that he, like, he can't keep straight, and he's, like, reading out his message that he wanted to send to Hubcap at the same yeah. time as, like, trying to get up and hit the alarm. He's not and... doing so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like the, the the book has got enough time for a book that is like really wordy, really dense. It mm. does have the time to kind of like slow down and like actually have the death that matters. Which again, really tough line to draw where it's like characters have had their head blown off multiple times, but this does feel different in that this does feel like a final death. And I think the book is going to get better at death from now on. I, I think... think your head is actually, in the world of Transformers, your head is less vital than your heart. Yeah. Where you can get shot in the head and you're probably okay. Well, you might be okay, but if your entire chest gets caved in, you're fucked. Which makes a degree of sense, I think. <laughs> I think my favourite little overlord moment is when Ratchet is, like, going about his doctor business. And you just see Overlord behind him and he looks so fucking creepy. Like, his face, his giant face peering through a, a doorway behind him and he doesn't know he's behind him and it's just like... Yeah, it, it's so powerful. Like he's this horror movie monster, just proud, like just walking the corridors, trying to murder everyone. And yeah, like Ratchet barely survives thanks to Drift. By the time support arrives, Drift and Ratchet are both really fucked up. Magnus tries to beat the shit out of him, and then he just kind of shrugs it off. And Magnus, he goes to like Magnus, where like Magnus is like, "I wish I'd been there on Garrus Nine to like show you what I'm doing." And he basically just turns to him and says, "Like, it's funny, you've you've been acting at like full power right now and barely causing a dent. I've been holding back." And then he yeah. just like punches through Magnus's chest and basically like he seemingly kills him. Yes, and dialogue that is identical to when Rewind was dying is repeated and at the time they said a bot of magnus's size would shrug it off magnus seems to die here and magnus was on the necrobots list at the end of of the previous arc where we had this list of names by the cybertronian grim reaper and it had several people on it who we think are alive and magnus was definitely one of them <laughs> so yeah it's a whole action thing, like, you can actually get through it really quickly, because it's just a lot of fighting. Yeah, but... like, this is probably the quickest red issue of the entire yeah. series, where it's just Overlord kind of, like, beating people up with, like, little <laughs> character beats. Basically, like, Rung has been talking to Fortress Maximus, yep. kind of, like, downstairs, like, forgiving him for kind of, like, taking him hostage and all the rest of it, yeah. and then, because Fortress Maximus was, like the guy who like really was at Overlord's kind of like he tortured point. him for yeah. like forever he's got he... such trauma tied up in, in Overlord so when Overlord's loose it's like let's fucking let Fortress Maximus loose on him because he's got some pent up rage yeah but but that is after Rodimus does his inevitable till all are one which is the yes. whole reason why Chrome Dome has been like saying it because he knows and it's been set up that Rodimus says till all are one it's like a psychological trigger phrase that makes him like it doesn't like kill him or beat him it just makes him temporarily like 
stunned, I guess. Yeah. So that allows Fortress Maximus to like beat and carry and drag him down back to his cell, which it turns out can be ejected into space separately from the ship. They throw but, him in. But Drift's sword is there. Yeah, confusingly. It's, a whole, it's a whole thing. Drift has also been trying to teach Rodimus like sword play as well, quietly, and I, I don't know about that. But yeah, the, the door is jammed. Only someone of Rewind's size can fit through. He goes through. He closes the door from the inside. Chromedome's arm is chopped off, trying to like drag him back out. And uh, yeah, this cell is launched into space with Rewind and Overlord. And Chrome Dome knows that's not going to go well for Rewind, so he sprints to the ship's cannons, and he blows up the cell and collapses in a pit of despair as he has killed the, his husband to save... It's a mercy kill, because Overlord would have just tortured him for forever in a, like, magical room where time moves differently. So. Yeah, and, it, it, like, one of Alex Milne's best pages... Such like, a good panel. Book. Definitely will be on the episode poster, like... Yeah, like, it, it's really good. And it's, like, it's also bittersweet because Kremdom's kind of, like, been, been taking a verbal beating from Rewind all mm-hmm. leading up to this. But, like, Rewind is just, like, how? why were you doing this? Why were you doing this behind my back? Why, like, he was being risky by not informing the people who knew that mm-hmm. Overlord is on the ship and, like, basically just being completely dumb about every single thing he did here. And still Rewind is just, like, yeah, but we've got to save, save his and everyone's life. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even think... Like, he literally goes from, like, being kind of telling Chrome Dome off to just going in there and saving everyone. Yeah. His philosophy has been every every shape serves a function and, and everything. And he, he's like unknowingly parroting functionalism as a thing of like, hey, I'm small, but I can help. And he does save everyone. Because like, there is no, like, Overlord would have recovered and we know he can take Fort Max one-on-one. So like, he would have won this eventually, I think. So yeah, it's fucked up. We do have one more. This has been super long, but I think it's because it is like, probably the best little arc of the book but it's just kind of a, a the fallout of that we get a montage of times magnus survived near fatal wounds and it's just it's a fun thing we get like slight variations on what he looks like we get like megatron as a gun and all kinds of stuff it's just him like taking serious damage and surviving essentially there are some subtle nods about his attitude changing over time yeah. Pin in it. yeah. <laughs> so in the present, Ratchet's working on him. The outlook looks incredi- incredibly bleak. There is a device called a death clock, not the same as the future armor one, but kind of the same. It predicts to the second when you're going to die, and it's basically, a medical only, instrument. Yeah, only works when your like spark is shrinking and can basically say, this is how long you've got until your spark. So like, in out. theory, if you, your treatment is successful, the clock should add more time and eventually just, I guess, switch off. Yeah, because they, they, they say if you're healthy, you don't have a, a clock because it can't tell because your yeah, your spark yeah, yeah. isn't moving in time. Why they didn't use it on rewind two issues, <laughs> three issues ago? Yeah, not clear, but I'm not sure. Clear. Maybe it's ratchets and first aid didn't want yeah. to use it. We might and, as well just just skip to it. Tailgate ends up putting his hand under the death clock and is alarmed to see he's got three days left to live. Seven days left than uh, Ultra Magnus as well. Like so Ultra Magnus has got like ten days left, yeah. and uh, it's kind of a one-two punch of. Magnus's corpse goes missing, and Tailgate learns he has three days left to live. That is indeed directly tied to him having green innermost energy on instead of pink earlier in the issue. So you can take that pin back out, I suppose. We'll get into why it's happening soon um, in the next episode. But like... yeah, like the the main bulk of this issue is functionally a a funeral for Rewind and everyone else. It is quite, there is a funny moment where Rodimus is doing <laughs> delivering a eulogy, and it's like so totally for Rewind. It's 
seems like, and then at the end he's just like, and that's why Triple Decker is like <laughs> one, one of the bravest spots I ever met. Yeah, yeah. Rodimus does the funeral. He he promises a full inquiry into how the fuck did Overlord get on the ship because only a few people knew. And he invites Chromebone to give a, a speech, and he gives a very 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 short one for Rewind, which is how you know something is up. Cyclonus attends the funeral at Chromedome's request. Chromedome previously was like, what a shame that Cyclonus almost died. So clearly between then and now, Rewind must have told him, oh yeah, Cyclonus saved my life. So I think he's, he's never going to be like, oh, we're buds. But the invite, I think, suggests that. Rodimus is angry he can't save everyone. That is a thing that's been coming up. Like, I think he wants to be Optimus Prime. He wants to be the big saving hero. And he's doing it his own way. But he's just not getting results, and I think it's the intense desire to be it that is stopping him from doing it. <laughs> and um, people are checking in on Chrome Dome, and Chrome Dome's saying, oh, I'm fine. He's clearly not fine, and Brainstorm knows this, so he talks to him, and he basically says, you've lost a lot of lovers, and you have injected yourself to make yourself forget, because you don't recognise any of these names that I'm about to say, and these were all your Rewind before Rewind, and he says... Rewind deserves to be remembered by us, of course, but by you a thousand times more. And the real reason he has no innermost energon is he's donated so much of it and he's made himself forget. So he thinks he's born dry, but he's just given away all his heart blood, which is fucked. Chromedom says he won't do it, but Brainstorm's like, you've said that before. He says, I'll, I'll ask you how you're feeling and you'll give me a blank look, the worst look, because then Rewind really will be dead. And it's just, it's so fucked up. Like, Brainstorm is, like, the comedy mad scientist character, and here he is, de- like, delivering the real deal on grief and, and and how one persists in the face of unimaginable loss and everything. Yeah, like, it, it, it's interesting because Brainstorm has been, like, of the, the kind of, like, the main cast of this book, if you want to call them that, he has definitely been even more so than, like, Rodimus Drift and Ratchet, who we've kind of like highlighted as being kind of yeah. like Brainstorm has like nothing to do. He lives he really... in his lab. They go to him when they need some wacky invention. Yeah, he, he like... doesn't have a character really, and this is where you start to see one a bit. Yeah, um, and, and and obviously like this is really like a genuinely gets to me, and like obviously it all leads up to the final reveal. But just like the idea that like Chrome Dome has been like putting off grief mm-hmm. for for so long, and he got why this, would like, I grieve when stuff? I can just take it out of my head? Which is a thing we have all thought when we have suffered death or or, or heartbreak or something like. Could I if I could just erase this? Would I do it? And he yeah. literally can, yeah. and he has. And brainstorm hands him. Oh, does he hand it to him, or is he? Or is he just found it? No, right? no. Brainstorm, brainstorm hands it to him, yeah. where he's like, like this. This is the last thing. That, like, it's a data slug that like was thrown through the slow cell before before he left. Obviously, mm-hmm. you didn't have time to see it because you were like too busy focusing on it. But like, right, right. this is the last thing that Rewind was able to do for you. Yeah. And Chrome Dome goes to watch it and basically finds that like in the like last fraction of a second before he left, he was able to edit together basically like a. a montage film made up of like sayings that he's recorded I, I think it's like bumblebee's gimmick with the radio in that like you're taking a snippet of of footage here and there and you're making it into a message and some of it is stuff that's happened in the book some of it's stuff we've never seen before and it's just pure artistic license do you I have mean, it to I, hand I, I, or do you want me to read I, it or i want to read i will want read to read it. yeah yeah your attention for a moment, this is Rewind. Showing you edited footage from my database. I've probably got about 0.8 seconds before game over, so hear me out. I've always been terrified that you'd die before I did, because you and me apart strikes me as intensely wrong. So promise me something, be brave and strong, keep going without me, and another thing, 
No more injecting. It will kill you. And remember, you deserve to be happy. The new institute was the old you. You're a better person now. Stubborn and frustrating, but wonderful. And to think, I will never see you again. One more thing. One last thing. Because I don't say it enough. I love you. And so, then it ends with him withdrawing the the kind of like the the, the injection yeah, fingers. He, he opts not to do it. The I love you is, you know, this is our explicit. They are not best friends. They are in love. Conjuncts and Jura means husband. They held off in the last issue because Rewind can't hear the last words that yep. Chrome Dome says to him, so you get a blank yeah, speech bubble. He clearly said it to him, but Roberts was nervous about telling IDW, about telling Hasbro he wanted this explicit I love you. They were both supportive, which good. Like the fucking robots who gives a shit if they're gay. Um <laughs> I, I I also love that like obviously I have to assume Hasbro just kind of like had a thing where like there's probably points where they like care less about this franchise. Mm-hmm. Like they're coming off a thing where like what it's twenty thirteen, so two years ago Michael Bay's movies made a billion dollars. <laughs> the other the book is of... giving us combiner wars. You can have two of them say I love you, we don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're so far off the beaten path track yeah. of like what we're doing. Yeah. It's, like you sell, you sell under ten thousand copies a month. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a beautiful double page spread. It's a really clever idea. Like the "I love you" is done from so all the rest of it is other people. The "I love you" is him saying it, looking in the mirror. So it's point of view while they're holding hands next to each other. It's 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 gorgeous. It's, yeah, I also I also love that like on the Transformers wiki they've literally got like a bit underneath that's like they're totally not gay, you guys. They're just bros with mouths. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, like this is this is kind of like the the I don't want to say radical thing about this book, but like mm-hmm. it becomes such a queer book as we're going on because we're not there yet. But like this book is also going to start delving into the idea of gender as a transformer, where like they could quite easily go with the idea that like because this entire species is male and because there is no sexual reproduction as far as we have been shown it, and like everyone <laughs> is forged or or whatever constructed cold constructed cold that like the actual idea of romantic attachment has no querying to it could be the read and then they get into the idea of like what it actually would mean to experience Mm -hmm. gender and it is purposely a reaction to something that happened earlier on in this entire comics universe involving like the the original explicit female transformer rc Mm -hmm. that's pissed off many of the fans. It's super fucked up how it's handled and we'll get a direct reaction to it down the line in this book but yeah. To the point where, like, I even feel like, and and it feels gross, but like, RC almost feels written as a man yeah. in the other book. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, there is nothing feminine about that character in other a way than that pink. Yeah, <laughs> and it feels deeply uncomfortable. But it like, does. we are we are getting to a. This is the queer book. I I don't know how Roberts identifies. I'm like I, but like as far as I know, straight. Uh, yeah, but that I, thing is like, yeah, like, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate or anything like that. No. But it is interesting that he is putting this explicitly into this book and is it's, and is like working with people to make sure that this lands yeah. authentically. Also, absolutely, yeah, that's that's the important bit. And there's there's absolutely none of it is written into the planning notebooks. It clearly came as he was writing it, and I would be very fascinated to know when it hit him if he was deliberately leaving it out because, as you know, as I said, he was nervous to tell Hasbro like. I want them to say I love you. I mean, as, as I said, like volume three is the one where like it starts to get really explicit. Like yeah. I would love to see the script for the the panels with like Rodimus and Drift, where like <laughs> they're in that kind of like from behind embrace. They're just a couple of guys, they just wrestle a bit, you know. Yeah, like... and that's that's kind of like that's when it becomes a conscious choice. I feel, and again, it's part of the beauty 
beauty of this is that obviously Roberts is he's planned all of this out and like all of the plot beats are building off of each other but he is still giving the room for the characters to grow and to develop into ways that are interesting yeah. and characters that he requested at the start of the run are obviously not interesting him in ways that he thought they were going to interest him i think that's that is very much it you start out with your big ideas and then when you write the characters and you find their voices you're like no this isn't it it's something else yeah like it like like because that thing is he goes in he comes in so strong with like ratchet and mm-hmm. and drift and like all these other characters yeah. and then by this point there's like yeah they're functionally not here and yeah. and obviously this issue ends with drift being exiled because he's taken like full responsibility for yeah what's happened with overlord yeah. like he, is, he is... strips him of his badge banishes him from the ship he does a walk of shame people are throwing things at him ratchet is the only one to like pick him up which is a nice thing given they've mostly been depicted bickering i might as well just say it now in the earliest outlines roberts wanted drift to be manipulating rodimus and playing to his ego to his own ends not evil but like he had a secret goal to acquire the power of the knights of cybertron to protect against something he saw in a vision and like that is not here at all like he wasn't betraying so like he lays it on really thick with the we're best friends stuff because he was trying to manipulate him and that's another one that's kind of abandoned and i think it's why drift can feel a little bit off in spots early on and he will not to spoil that he's coming back but like yeah he will be written in a much nicer way i think later takes a pause on like this character and it's obvious that like i i feel like even characters that he gives back because we're reaching a point where like there is going to be a degree of mobility between the two books in the next couple arcs where like a couple of characters who aren't quite working out for roberts are going to go back and a couple of characters that like roberts is going to want to get his hands on are going to come into the book he still has i think he still does get overall right to like the the initial starting cast of the book feel because even then like the characters who are going to leave will eventually come back in fairly significant ways for like the end portion of the yeah. book. So that is that is our big chunk here. Um, as I said, so much done to flesh out pre-Cybertron, biology, law, religion, both from the Senate point of view, the clampdown, functionalism, imperator, the primal basilica, these are all brand new names. The mythology side with Primus and the guiding hand and the circle of light. Terminology like conjuncts and dura, which means spouse, innermost energon, point one percenters. Like we're throwing a lot of terms in here. We're also making all these characters a lot more human. Magnus literally learning he, it would be good for him to lighten up. Rodimus has a hero complex. Swerve and Tailgate are living lies. Swerve doesn't necessarily know it. Chrome and Rewind have a dark past. Cyclonus is starting to gain affection for Tailgate. Rung has expressed some displeasure for how Rodimus has handled the Red Alert situation. There wasn't time, but that happens. Drift takes responsibility when it wasn't just him. Ratchet comes through for him, like... And then there's all this stuff with, like, none of you are ever going to be okay again after the war. Like, they have this bloodlust for battle, and, like, they're all broken in their own ways. I think it's a great fucking arc. Yeah, um, like, like these eight issues are where the book feels like it fully comes into itself. Mm-hmm. And it's why it feels a little weird that next week we're doing the season finale <laughs> of season one. Like, it feels like, wow, yeah. the book has finally got some momentum. And it's not like, like the season finale is a, a momentum killer, but it does feel a little kind of like abrupt that we're We at, were like, just getting going. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> we're, now at a, we're now at a conclusion point. I think and... just with these books, there was no guarantee they would get past no. 
X number of issues, so you've got to build nothing in your had, finale. Nothing had got that far. Like even no. when you think like there's the 31 issue Transformers run, that book is functionally 20 issues of one storyline, and then it basically goes like, and eh, we need to go back to Cybertron immediately. Uh, you get three <laughs> issues to wrap up the storyline, but we're going to start rebooting the universe, and you've got yeah. to use these like last seven issues to to tell a new story. And before that, it was just years and years of single issues and three issue minis and yeah. six issue and even minis. even all Hell Megatron, which is like 12 issues, feels like it kind of like has a remit halfway through where it needs to like pivot into it turning a different so much steam yeah yeah for as long as this universe has existed because like even at this point so what this this issue issue 16 comes out in 2013 so we're eight years into this existing as a universe mm-hmm. and there have been so many kind of like pivots and changes and stuff like that and this is the first time that it feels like there is actual meaningful momentum in any of the books i, I think <laughs> So yeah, that's where we will leave you for now. The next time we're talking comics will be two episodes from now. If you are reading along with us and you'd like to have read before next time, it's going to be quite an intense one. We will be reading issues 17 to 21, which is volume 5. We will do a heavily abridged version of Dark Cybertron, which is a huge event that incorporates both books. It does contain issues 22 to 27 of this book, but like... It's not really this book. Like, there's some stuff, but like, we will, you're good. We'll get you through it in five to ten minutes. And then we're going to move on to volume six, which is issues 28 to 33. I didn't want us to have to do those in one. I thought issues 28 to 33 should be the beginning of an episode because of what happens we'll get to, but like, there was no way with the schedule. Yeah. So it is. We're, we're, we're getting a new cast member, and it's kind of a. <laughs> It's a very big deal. It's a soft refresh on the book. That's two weeks from now. It'll be nice to have a chance to talk about this character properly, because this character definitely hasn't been serviced very well by the movies, which is what we're (laughs) discussing next week. Yes, next week is Transformers Dark of the Moon. You will be seeing Shockwave again, and all your pals... Including Megan Fox, I assume, having never seen it before. I have seen it before. Uh, I mean, the tease really is is just like, and this isn't even a hot take at this point. I feel like this is like the actual like default opinion now, where it's like Dark of the Moon, the best Michael Bay Transformer movie. I don't think it is. I think people go real hard for one, but I just I just came away from it. I was like, this feel. I don't know. It's the closest to being good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, yeah, I say best. It's it's best on a very sliding scale (laughs) when he's made two of the greatest cinematic atrocities of, like, the last 15 years. Yeah. Right, well, that is next week, Dark of the Moon. Issues... 17 to 21 and 28 to 33 if you want to read dark cybertron do it it's not god very good but... i'll be reading it oh yeah we're gonna read it but like you don't have to if you're reading along uh volumes five and six two weeks from now go read and if you are a real glutton for punishment watch transformers dark of the moon which we'll be talking about next week sorry this was long as shit it is what it is i'll do what i can in the edit but for now thank you everyone if you got through it thank you benjamin Thank you, Matt. And uh, audience. This has been an experience. I'm now going to look up and see what our longest episode ever is on Real World. One of the There Will Be Movies is real long. Anyway, that's for us to figure out. Stop making it longer. Audience, roll out. This is why This is why We fight When we die We will die With our Come to me